Happy New Year, losers. Losers from Harvard University. Happy New Year. Hey, Steve. That's right, Carlo. Happy New Year to you. All you losers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> season three. Here we go. Season Headlong. Three. Headstrong. Yeah, we're, we're going uh, full bore. Mm. Episode one. Uh, previous episode was minus one. And we went a little long. Another record-breaking yeah. episode. I know. I, I never thought we would have to say this. And maybe we don't have to say this, but we got to stop talking for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, well, man. I mean, it's not for the listeners' sake, because I think the feedback we've gotten, at least from you know our friends and, and the people that are in the movie club with us and all that, is they don't mind it going long. Cause, you know, it's not even that they don't mind it. They love it. Right. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. They can stop and yeah. start and enjoy the whole thing. It's more just for our sanity here. Um, sure. But also, I think we just need to pick our spots for when we do that. Like, obviously, the sure. last step, it was obvious in hindsight that we tried to kind of do two podcast ideas in one. You know, we did <laughs> the year in review and the award show. Yeah, and it can definitely be tightened up. And, you know, yeah. it's going to be different this year, uh, this season uh, for our year in review because we're only going to be reviewing uh, the movies that we talk about. It's uh, uh, We may be doing, like, maybe a special Patreon episode for, like, new releases sure. or discoveries, but primarily we're covering 1984 movies. So it'll kind of just be, like, mm-hmm. I guess a recap slash ranking of, of the movies that we saw. I like um, that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it'll be. There, there won't be any tears on my end because, like, uh, just, you know, going over the list of potential movies we'll be covering this season, like, yeah, I mean, they all sound like winners to me. So Awesome. Yeah, they're all going to be yeah. top tier. And, yeah, this is it. We're starting Movie Food 84. And yes. so... New theme song? We have a new theme song that the listener just heard. It's kind of has an 80s... It's 80s coded, but it's kind of, you know, nice. has also a, a little bit of a modern vibe. So Sweet. we're we're kind of locked and loaded from Movie Food 84, man. Yeah, I'm ready to go, man. So yeah, right, why cool. don't we get started? Do we have a new appetizer theme too? We do. Here we go. Let's go. It's time for Movie Food Appetizers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice All right. Short. I was like, what? This is new? Did he press the wrong button? No, that's it. All right. <laughs> well, you know, in, in the spirit of moving things along, I'm going straight to Carlos Cannon. Oh, let's do it. Here we go. All right, Steve. So, starting off with the Carlos Cannon, how can that be on episode one? Yeah, what uh, the is reason this? being, what's going on? Yeah, <laughs> the reason being, it's uh, I have some leftovers actually from episode minus one. It's time for movie food leftovers. We just got to get them all in here. here we go. <laughs> just get them all in. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Uh, this is my fault. Uh, and this is kind of, I guess, the Easter egg that nobody noticed. I think, like, even Jacob is one of the first people who mm. listened to the entire episode and chimed in with us. He didn't notice that I was hyping up a movie that I was going to discuss on the top tier, and I never did. <laughs> oh. So I'm, th- I'm mentioning it, it now. Yeah. Okay. Which is uh, Falcon Lake. I kept on oh, hyping it up. It was my right. best sex scene award winner best um yeah, maybe even like best I th- you might have mentioned it in a couple of categories actually right yeah. right yeah so it, it won a couple awards you know came up to the podium a couple of times um well deserved but i never talked mm-hmm. about it <laughs> it's just like you know i never got to that point at the end where it was like i think because 
the the Godzilla minus one story was just so huge that it overlapped everything after that. You know, I kind of just rushed through my my top mm-hmm. tier. I felt so I I completely missed out on Falcon Lake. So now I'm giving Falcon Lake that space. So, uh, this is just a beautiful movie, Steve. Like it was um, it's a coming of age story about a boy who's probably like eleven or twelve years old. Um, so on the cusp of puberty. And it's like, uh, you know, it's it's one of those summer vacations, you know, out in the country where, you know, you stay in a house and there's no neighbors and mm. there's a lake, the Falcon Lake, where you go swimming. And then, you know, you're basically forced to make friends with other kids that happen to be vacationing there or like maybe totally. a distant relative or a family friend who, who brings their kids. And those are the people that you're like forced to hang out with. And, you know, it's all about just like how I brought up this idea actually in in my review in Letterboxd where older kids always just seem cooler than you, you know, Um, like regardless of how awkward they actually are in in hindsight. And that's what um, Patrick McHale talks about in the commentary for um, Over the Garden Wall, how like, you know, the the twist in the reveal of Jason Funderburger where it's like he's actually just kind of really awkward and he his (laughs) voice is breaking but the way we build him up, it's like, oh, Jason Funderburger is like this really cool, intimidating guy. Yeah. Uh-huh, totally. <laughs> but that's just it because he's an older kid. And he does have some, you know, he like he makes a move. You know? he's, yeah, he's he got has some, some confidence. Game. Something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the movie, kind of, that, that's one of the underlying themes of it is just older people are, you know, older kids are cooler. Yeah. Like there's a really brilliant like bonfire party scene where it's all just kids at a house, you know, with no adult supervision. And you just see how they behave without adults. And it's it's all that awkwardness. But the main thrust of the movie is just basically meeting this slightly older girl, maybe like one or two years older than him, mm-hmm. this this kid, this main kid. And, you know, he falls in love with her. Totally. And it's just like it really captures the feel of how that is, of just like the, the flirtatiousness. It's magic, kind of awkward. man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had an older sister, and so I definitely remember that period where it's like she had all of her friends, and you know, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm coming of age, and just that feeling of like, what are these feelings? Yeah, right. Yeah, and and the movie just does it so well. But here's the kicker, Steve, is that the movie is written directed by a woman. Beautiful. <laughs> and just how she's able to capture those nuances, I wonder if it's just like she consulted with you know friends or maybe her partner um it's actually directed by a uh, charlotte uh charlotte lebon and she's actually an actress she's cool. so it's her directorial debut and she's not in the movie too which is great i love it when when actors who um who become directors don't put themselves in their, <laughs> their movies that they mm. direct sure um but yeah it's just such a beautiful movie it's it's all about vibe in that summer there's an incredible scene i mean you know i i said the sex scene was remarkable uh, but there's another scene which is kind of precedes that, which is kind of a tease, and it's just such a beautiful scene. I'll try to describe mm. it as, as best as I can. So sure. she basically knows that he's interested in her, and he's trying his best to like impress her. Like you know, he he tells <laughs> stupid jokes and shit like that. You yeah. know. And I remember there was one review I read on Leatherbox that was like criticizing how bad his jokes were, and I was like, that's the point. Yeah. He's a kid. Like he doesn't. He's not gonna be like Bill Burr. Yeah. <laughs> or Dave Chappelle, like a sharp wit. You know, he he's making stupid jokes to impress mm. her. Um. So once she kind of catches on on that, uh, there's a part where she basically tells him to go in the lake. Um. And she keeps telling him like to keep stepping back further and further into the deep end. And each time he steps back into the deep end, she takes off an article of clothing. 
Mm-hmm. And by the time, like, she's completely naked, his head is, like, barely above water. Like, he's kind of just, like, surfacing, bobbing up and down. <laughs> so she can't she can't really see her naked. Yeah. But she he knows that she's naked. And, you know, if he comes closer, you know, she's going to start putting the clothes back on. Uh, but it's just such a beautiful moment. That's and it's great. Just, uh, yeah. yeah, great example of how poetic it is. So, yeah, Falcon Lake, man, one of my top films. Even though it was a 2022 release, yeah. it was one of my favorites of 2023. That's so, beautiful, yeah. Carlo. I like the way you described it. And that scene you just described, that could have won like best original movie moment. Like that sounds really sure. original yep. and unique. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has a, a wonderful like ambient score too. Um, so yeah, and that plays during that scene. So yeah. And it kind of pairs with, you know, poor things in a way where you know a lot of you know we obviously discuss that a lot and discuss mm-hmm. how it's kind of from it's kind of male centric and it's told from the male right. point of view with the, yeah, this the, writers is the all the way down <laughs> and so you have this opposite and so it's kind of cool to kind of get that sense right of this uh but from the other way where it's like maybe charlotte um as a writer she's she she, she maybe had a sense of like what it's like to have a little like when you're a a, a a young woman coming of age, what it's like to kind of have a little bit of that power dynamic, and right? What do you do with it, and how do you play with it, and so maybe like that influenced the writing or the directing. Yeah, because um, she could have experienced this herself, but as the older girl, but then she put herself in that perspective of what was it like for the younger boy who was falling right. for me, you know. Uh, which is just incredible, just that that type of empathy and being able to, mm-hmm. you know, get that across in a movie is really remarkable. Um, so yeah, um, and yeah, there, I I feel like Kay would like this movie. She wouldn't have any objections oh, to it the way she shout out to Kay. Yeah. Things. yeah, shout out to Kay. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Kay's been on my mind just because um, I I recently watched Neon Genesis Evangelion or Evangelion, okay. and I think she's a fan of it. Like I've read her letterbox reviews of it. And not to get in, into NGE right now, but it also has elements of this Falcon Lake thing where it's like there's like a 14-year-old boy and he has all these attractive women around him, some older, some his age, and <laughs> yeah, right. tr- trying to navigate that inner world, that wow, coming-of-age world. That That's what it's about. Oh, that that actually explains a lot why it's by um, Hideki Anno. Like mm-hmm. that seems to be a consistent theme throughout everything he's done i mean i would love to just do an episode about his stuff or maybe multiple episodes let's save it for season four because nge sure. came out in 95 so that would work, work well then yeah cool all right all right sounds good man so yeah what have you got steve all right i got debut of a new jingle mm-hmm. all right for, for for my first appetizer this is going out to a supporter of ours he's been a guest numerous times um, and so we finally decided, hey, you know what? We're going to build the jingle around uh, this great individual. It, of course, is Bill Scurry. So if he's listening, congrats to Bill Scurry. Here is your movie food jingle. Here we go. Bill Scurry. Wow. <laughs> Shout out Bill Scurry. <laughs> Amazing. Um, oh, wow. You did some, uh, I'm getting some Bay Area, like uh, East Oakland vibes from that yeah, beat. <laughs> yeah. Got to hear it again. Here we go. Bill Scurry. Yeah. Bill has, like, has like a two short thing. Yeah. Like uh, blow the whistle. Blow the whistle. Yeah. Bill. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's East Oakland, baby. Cool. So, oh, man. So we'll figure out how to get him that MP3. I kind of want him to, like, play that on all of his platforms, you know, when he's walking into a room at home. That's his entrance music. Yeah. So, yeah right just to kind of get everybody hyped up. So, yeah. <laughs> shout out to Bill Scurry. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Bill, man. Um, yeah, I can't even do it. Oh, man. Uh, that was surprising, Steve, because I... I was expecting like the the previous jingles we've done for our supporters. It's like been um, descriptive of them, like, and then you would even ask me certain things about them to kind of, you know, inform the track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this one is just pure minimalist. Bill Scurry. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to, I just wanted it to be hype because yeah, he kind of totally has hype. he he kind of has that vibe in a really unconscious way. You know, uh-huh. um, and so yeah, and it was—it's kind of like you know, with these jingles, it's my favorite technique is just first thought, best thought, and just right. when, it, yeah. when I started thinking about it. a jingle for Bill, that first uh-huh. thing was, was just Bill Scurry, and then <laughs> and then like what could follow that was just burr, burr, you know. Oh, well, there know. you go. No, you just went by instinct, and yeah, there you go. That's what comes out. It's great. That's man. right. I, t- I, mean, I tapped in. You- yeah. Yeah, dude. And you inspired me because now if I ever play like WWE 2K or any of those wrestling video games, I'm going to create a Bill Scurry like a <gasps> uh, wrestler. Oh, <laughs> can you totally imagine? Yeah. And he'll be Sir William Scurry. Yeah, he's got to be like a knight of like uh, Sir Sir William Scurry of Sussex. Is he wearing like, like is he in like a suit or is he wearing like Oh no, like, what's, he's what's wearing the the, those those tight pants, you know, shirtless with the tight pants, you know, the oh. flare kind of shit. And then, you know, but before his entrance he's wearing the, you know, the garb, the robe, you know, that he kind of mm. can throw yeah, yeah. off, you know, like James Brown style, you know. Okay, cool. Um <laughs> so imagine. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, and he wears the glasses too. Yeah, if if that's possible if you can customize that in a wrestling game that they wear glasses i would oh yeah the yeah bill scurry glasses they're very important beautiful yeah. and, and he's got to wear a cravat yeah <laughs> that's the other thing oh. <laughs> you can't be bill scurry without a cravat yeah so good there we go good job man all right yeah man all right what all you right. got for, awesome. for your next appetizer oh well it's another carlos cannon actually oh my god here we go yeah carlos all right, so changing it up, uh, it was going to be something else, but I'll save that for the last. Um, uh, this is actually, surprisingly, not a movie. Um, it's something that is near and dear to your heart, Steve. <gasps> and I am I want to bring up uh, Blink-182's Blink-182 Ooh, <laughs> from 2003. The, un- the untitled album. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm feeling this. <laughs> you are feeling this. Yeah, I'm feeling this. Um, yeah, where do we go from here? I mean, man, what an album, dude. So, yeah, yeah so, like, what's your background with Blink or with any of these songs in general? Like The most, like, mainstream exposure you can think of. So, basically, 99, when um, uh, Enema of the State became a hit like and it was everywhere and you know what is it what's my age again was just playing over everything and what was the video all the small things was the the one where spoofing the other music videos like boy band shit right yeah i think all the small things just hit a billion listens on download oh sorry on on spotify i mean yeah yeah i mean that record is still on my my um my uh my wish list like i'm I'm looking for a decent pressing of that especially because apparently there's a version of it that's that's going around that's censored so i don't want to pick up that version you know 
Yeah, I actually to, to nerd out if people really know their records, anybody listening, like yeah, I'm looking for the the Kevin Gray cut of the record. Like Kevin Gray is like one of the geniuses of cutting records. Mm. Like his lacquers are amazing and they always sound great, but yeah, those ones are a little pricey. I'm actually looking for the Kevin Gray cut of the Blink-182 self-titled album too. Um because cool. yeah, there was a version of it cuz that version as I shared with you is the one that has all the bonus tracks. So the version mm-hmm. I was able to pick up, we we talked about this off record, you know, randomly went to a book off and found the record there. And that was a, the Blink record I wanted to start off with. And what are the chances I was there? It's like I had to get it. And it was like way less than retail. You know, most Blink records are going for around 30, 35 retail uh-huh. these days, brand new. And you don't really see them used that often, dude. The people who buy Blink records keep them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this one, maybe the guy bought a nicer version or he finally got the copy that has the bonus track. So he's like, yeah, I can sell my 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 version of it. Uh, this one that like basically it's it's three sides and side D is just the etching of the, the smiley face logo. Yeah. On Yeah. But yeah, you're telling me that bonus track um, not now is really good. So I'll have to, yeah, that's definitely on my grail list of awesome. things because, man, the album, I mean, there, there's definitely a a running theme throughout the the whole album that I started to get after a few listens, which is that it's all about cheating and infidelity and kind of dealing with that shit. Is that, mm-hmm. am I right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's about like yeah. heartache or loss in a way. And yeah, it's yeah. Thing, things kind of fall apart, but... But yeah, it, the, the album has this weird emotional depth that you don't expect in a Blink record. I think it's because it was right. the third record in that series where like they were gigantic. So they had squeezed yeah. out a lot of the, the like poppier and goofier stuff in the first two. And they were ready to try to... They were like still in their 20s, but they're trying to get better. And you can really hear... Yeah. And so it's like angsty and it's like they're maturing, but they're not quite there but that's kind of what gives it its charm. It's like, it's not the most mature record, but it's like, it's heading in a direction that's really interesting, I think, yeah. Yeah, and um, what was the next album after this? Was this like, they did they take um, a hiatus after this? Or? Yeah, I think after this in their history, they broke up. Oh yeah, and then uh, Plus 44. I have that record, by the yeah. way. Um, yeah, it's great, a great record as well. Yeah, Tom yeah. started Angels and Airwaves. Uh, mm. Mark and Travis did Plus 44. And yeah. then after a chunk of years, they were like, what are we doing? Let's get back together in 2011. <laughs> nice. I think around 2011. Got but it. then they broke up again because Tom <laughs> was doing all the To the Stars Academy UFO stuff. And, okay. and Blink wanted to put out another record. So and they broke um, up. Right. And Mark got sick, right? And then Mark got sick around yeah. COVID times, and Damn. and then they just got back together last year. And put and out you a saw them, yeah, That's I saw incredible. them last summer, and they put out a new record in, in October. Wow! So it's like it's a lot of get back together, break up, get back together, which is right. I guess a, a theme of of this record. So so yeah, I wonder yeah, if, if they were subconsciously kind of channeling a lot of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, there's a couple of things you touch up on there. One is that yeah, that that attempt to kind of expand their their sonic uh, landscape a little mm-hmm. more so you know i'm i'm getting you know one of you mentioned one of your favorite tracks is the the fallen interlude yeah. which is like dub like they get into some dub shit in that which is mm-hmm. a genre i really want to get into because it just i think dub really translates to film mm-hmm. um you know just that idea of like remixing or like um doing kind of an ambient version of 
of something that used to have vocals like that to me is fascinating um and then yeah like even um time signatures like there's there's parts in violence where like the time signatures change you know um travis is doing like some crazy break beats on the drums yeah. and it's just Damn, man. Like, yeah, actually, I think violence is, is the one that gets the most uh, replays, respins. It's it's a great record. Yeah. It's, it just, just sonically, it sounds really good. I really yeah. like obvious. Like, I really like how, how heavy that one right. is. And, like, they hadn't had a song that heavy in a while. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just kind of runs the gamut. And Travis's drumming, obviously, really, like, takes a virtuosic turn. Yep. where he's not just a punk rock drummer he's just like a great drummer on that record yeah there. yeah it definitely showcases that a lot um yeah i'm stoked that you like the untitled record that's great yeah good shit man all right all so right. what do you got steve all right for, for my last appetizer we're gonna step into steve's racial corner okay let's go. i wonder i wonder yeah if i should build out a jingle for for the racial corner. is like, this gonna be a regular thing steve? i mean i kind of <laughs> hope not like I, okay. I hope i hope to just break it out like once a year you know but it's just okay. So it's old news at this point. the The whole okay. tunnels system under New York, where there's like Jewish mm. guys popping out of like. Now here's <laughs> the thing: is it in fact a sewer they're popping out of, or is it just like a a tunnel? Like, do we know? Like, what? No, is- yeah, yeah. So I mean, a lot of buildings in New York have basements. Okay. You know, basements are usually used for like boiler rooms and like um, uh, sometimes yeah, people live in basement apartments. Mm. Uh, so there is like. Uh, underground spaces in New York City. Okay. But yeah, they basically built tunnels to get to those underground spaces. Um, so they dug, you know, they cool. dug tunnels. So yeah, I mean, that, that's always been a big part of the city's lore is, you know, subterranean yeah, the underground stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, the, that, the urban legend of, you know, the, the kids having pet alligators and they become out of control. So they flush them down the toilet. So apparently, like, you know, the sewers full of like albino alligators oh. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's like a classic i have no doubt one. yeah that's all happening yeah. for sure well um yeah so exactly. like you know my official take is i think the tunnels are cool you know i think mm-hmm. maybe the future is underground like who knows at this point so my take isn't anything racial but what's possibly racial <laughs> so i want to bounce this off of you is one of the first Let's one go. of the first things i thought of when i saw that the now famous image of the hasidic dude coming out was of this one movie that I was stunned came from 1984. That's a movie called Chud, C H U D. Oh shit! Yeah, you mentioned this. So <laughs> it stands for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. It stars John Hurd. It's got uh, Daniel Stern, Kim Greist. It's 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 actually it has a cast and a whole thing. It's kind of a weird campy uh, movie. I I got through the first 20 minutes of it. And um, here, I just want to play this one clip for you from Chud. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> so right. this is the police captain is talking to a homeless guy who lives underground who maybe has seen something. So so here you go. So this is from Chud. So this is, I think the first voice you're going to hear is the police captain. Val, I understand you used to live underground. What made you change your mind? On each side of the throne, there are four living creatures filled with eyes in front and behind. (laughs) Creatures? Talking about your friends? They still down there? I know your work. You go by the name of being alive, and you are dead. Whoa. So, 
<laughs> that dude, that's fucking Shakespeare right there. <laughs> exactly. Oh Val Val just just dropping some some whatevers. So based on the power of that clip, do you mm-hmm. think we should cover Chud in this season of 1984? I I like um, we already have a stacked kind of like list, and yeah. So I guess it's two questions. One. I think we're all on the up and up. Like, I'm not saying I think the Hasidic guys are chuds, but it, I did think <laughs> of chud after seeing the Hasidic guys. So I just want to put that out on the table as sure. a self-report. But yeah, okay. but do you think it's worthy nah. of covering? And should we get Jade Lindley on like immediately? Right. Like, I mean, that that's the thing. The, the, we already have a guest that could be perfect for that <laughs> uh, episode. Uh, so yeah, and I'm, I'm sure she's seen it multiple uh, times. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she seems like, yeah, she, she's the one. And like, what I want to hear is what her, her alcohol pairing with that oh, yeah. movie would be. <laughs> Cause she, yeah, I mean, if she really put her mind to it, she could basically have like a gimmick Twitter account, which is just like, you know, uh, oh, kind of like how we have the wine pairing, yeah. but hers is the, you know, it's like a whiskey or specific a, drink, some sort yeah. of aged liquor that she does. Yeah. Like some mixed drink that she does. I mean, you know, if she really wanted Ooh. to do just a Twitter account that did that, like, that's beautiful. I think she'd be a hit. Totally. Yeah. Like her, like pouring it or just holding the glass. Or oh whatever. yeah. 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 I mean, cool. that's the other thing too. I mean, you know, um, not a knock on anybody, but like, all our guests are very photogenic, man. Even though we're we're doing an audio uh-huh. um, podcast, like if you look up the guests, like they're all good-looking people, <laughs> you know. And Jade is is no exception. It's a lovely club, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, one of my favorite photos of her probably be, uh, she took it in the dark because it was like I guess a reaction to what I had posted because she was watching Cobra, and I said like, don't forget your scissors to cut up the pizza and she sent a photo of herself. well she posted it online of her cutting up a pizza and i'm like yeah that's cool that's a dope picture like you know it's and then yeah her taste in movies she likes trashy films but she's also like a big action film mm-hmm. fan so you know like i'm sure she she has her fans online all right um but yeah she she did that if she pivoted to just like exclusively doing drink pairings with um with movies totally. oh man yeah, that's uh, yeah, we're we're hey. giving you a million dollar idea there, Jade. Come that's on, that's a great one. <laughs> Monetize that shit. All right, you know. All right. So maybe on Chud. Okay. Um. Yeah. I'll I'll just say this. Uh, <laughs> is that I need to see the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, that's really my my main measure. Like, yeah, I've I've been fooled before. I think maybe this is my 2024 mm-hmm. theme of just like not falling into the hype. Yeah. You know, we've been sharing a few trailers too mm-hmm. of like movies that are coming up, and I remember. It wasn't 2023. It was actually 2022 where it seemed like early on there were a lot of original movies that were coming out in 2022. And I, I was hyped for all of them. And, you know, it was going to culminate with um, everything everywhere yeah. all at mm-hmm. once. Uh, surprising Best Picture winner. But, um, but yeah, like I just was disappointed by every single one of them. Like as soon as they kept on coming out, I was just like, man, that was disappointing. And then the next sure. one comes out. Oh, that was disappointing. So I think... I, I'm trying not to fall into the hype, and uh, yeah, I, I want to see it. But you know, I mean, it's 1984. Like I'm, uh, this is the beauty of the season, Steve. It's just I'm, I keep digging up all these gems, and mm-hmm. even this movie that we're doing um, oh, as our I'm main excited, feature, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's gonna branch off to other things mm-hmm. because it's just connected. Um, it's remarkable. But for my last um, appetizer, it's also another Carlos Ken. Wow. All my appetizers are Great. Carlos Ken. <laughs> Boom, boom, Unprecedented, boom. a trifecta 
Um, but yeah, uh, this is also actually a leftover from our, our year in review because it's another movie that I didn't really talk about even though I said I would. Um, uh-huh. And that is uh, Stop Making Sense, which is also relevant to this season because oh. it is a 1984 release. So it's uh, it's getting its... Uh, I don't know why A24 did the the re-release last year like they couldn't wait until you know a couple months like january you know there's almost nothing on like you know january is generally like a catch-up month for movies for people Mm -hmm. they could have released stop making sense in january and it would have been perfect you know in imax uh it wouldn't be competing against anything um and yeah it would have been great but that's the thing so we were talking about like unique cinematic experiences and clearly Godzilla minus one took the cake for me. Um, Yeah, yeah, that was really the award winner. But the thing is the Godzilla minus one screening was not repeatable. It's just that that was one of a kind once in a lifetime (laughs) uh, to tie it into uh, Talking Heads, one of their great hit songs uh, once in a Mm. lifetime. Um, yeah, so that that was just yeah, it, it's a one-off. That will never happen again, and that's why I refuse to watch Godzilla minus one again because I'll just never get that experience again. You know, I want to keep it like that, just you know, bottled up. Man, <laughs> that Korean kid. Yeah, yeah, like what it, what an experience. I hope he has like a whole like Falcon Lake style. Experience sure, yeah, like in yeah. The summer, just, I I wish him well. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, and don't lose lose that imagination, kid. You know. Um, mm. Oh, that was the other thing too. I guess this is another leftover from from the previous episode. Uh, I I was gonna bring that up with poor things, but I forgot. In terms of imagination, like I've just realized that now, and you can probably corroborate this, Steve, is that I really feel like when I see like um you know um my nieces or like uh, mm-hmm. a friend's like daughter like just playing, it's like their imagination is so much better than boys' imaginations. <laughs> Like, mm, yeah, I feel like okay. like little girls' imaginations are closer to actual, like, artistic creativity than boys' imaginations. Mm-hmm. Like, boys' imaginations are like, rawr, like, let's let's have these two things fight. <laughs> like, you know, right. there's, there's not that much elaboration, you know. But something <laughs> about, like, the girls, like, they, they actually create worlds, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like actually poor things captured that, but that's a that's a sidetrack. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that that I I, I feel that sure. way. Do you feel that way with your daughters, Steve? That they're very imaginative. Oh my god, they have crazy imaginations. And yeah. it, The sad thing about it is like as you get older and mm. they see more and different media, and you know as we start to expose more things to them, yeah, you know those things kind of take over. Like, Aww. like we were holding off on Harry Potter just because we knew how all-encompassing Harry Potter would be. Right. And so now they love it and they play Harry Potter every day, but it's also like, I reminisce about when they were like five, six, seven. Mm. And yeah, it was this totally more organic play based on just, it just had a higher percentage of just whatever that natural thing is that you're that you're talking about. Right. And yeah, it, w- it would just be beautiful to watch them play and to see the things that they make and the things that they want, you know, they want to collect every rock yeah. that they find <laughs> yeah, and every twig. It's like, right. a, because it's not just a rock or a stick, it's a magical thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Really cool. So yeah, I, I noticed that. Um, but yeah, just going back to, um, to stop making sense, that is a unique, um, like, great cinematic experience, too, to watch it in IMAX, but it's also repeatable. Like, it's, you know, like I was saying, Godzilla wasn't, but this one, you know, you could see it again, and you'd still have, like, an incredible experience. Like, you know, it, and actually, 
it may even reward uh, over repeat viewings because you become more familiar with the songs. Because when I got into it, um, I wasn't that big of a Talking Heads fan. Like, um, mm-hmm. I have a couple of their albums, but and I, I think I discussed this. I feel like I discussed this on the episode where I, I put it in Carlos Canon, but. But yeah, like it's really made me even more familiar with them and realizing, you know, the differences between the live versions and the recorded versions and, um, you know, what Jonathan Demme was doing so uniquely in the film. And that's why it's it's known to be one of the greatest um, concert movies of all time is the editing. And just like, you know, I mean, the moment that I highlighted, I think maybe I wrote a review. Now I'm blanking. I've just written so many reviews that I don't, I'll have to look it up. But um. Sure. Uh, I, I think I mentioned that in the review where it's just like there's this moment where um there's a Tom Tom Club uh, interlude in the during the show, and Tom Tom Club is kind of like a side project for the Talking Heads. It's like all of the members except for David Byrne are involved. So, um, but yeah, it's mainly between uh um uh Tina Weymouth and um Chris France who are actually married in real life, you know. Um, so they kind of had you know, that band uh, romance. And at that time, I think that they did this, uh, this concert, um, they were, or maybe they were already married. I'm not really sure. But whenever they wrote that song, there's a part where Tina Weymouth is singing and she says like, with my boyfriend. And then it cuts to Chris France on the drums, you know? So it's like just Mm. showing that, you know, that's who she's singing about, you know, but it's, it's that kind of thing that Jonathan Demme did so well. And, I mean, it's one of two movies that Jonathan Demme did in 1984, and the other one we're definitely going to be discussing this season, uh, just teasing that out. I mean, if you know what, if people are familiar with Jonathan Demme's filmography, they know what the other 1984 movie is, but lesser seen and discussed. So that's why I'm looking forward to talking about the other Jonathan Demme movie, and we'll have a special guest for that, too. Um, Great. Yeah, but yeah, Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense. Yeah, one of the greatest concert movies of all time. Yeah, incredible. Love it. Yeah, I'm going to have to fire it up. I'm feeling inspired here. That's great. Yeah, let's go. And uh, yeah, actually, Steve, um, uh, just a pro tip as well. When you put it on, uh, maybe make some space on the floor uh, so you can dance in front Ooh, of the screen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that was one of the things uh, when I invited a friend to go see it with me, he said like he wishes that concert movies would... Uh, have like a space up front for people to dance to the to you know the concert to and i'm like yeah that's a fantastic idea why not even have a pit you know i you know oh, the, for sure yeah yeah just really make the concert movie experience immersive like why are people sitting down you know like they gotta rock you know i spe- yeah especially if it's like upbeat music mm-hmm. like like the talking heads that makes a lot of sense yeah i was definitely stamping my feet uh a lot during the the, cool. the screening so yeah all right all right, so yeah, do you want to get into it? Uh, let's uh, let's launch the main course. All right, here we go, main course. It's time for the main course. Yeah, I think we can keep that as is, Steve. That the yeah. I'm I not mean, changing that. Yeah, it like it gets better. It's right. weird. Yeah. Well, actually, it's it's very appropriate because there was metal during the '80s, but it was more kind of hair metal. But this mm-hmm. is what I love about. I guess the movies that we're going to be covering in 1984, a lot of the movies aren't explicitly 80s feeling. Specifically, even this mm. movie that we're going to be covering, which is Repo Man. Um, right. Yeah, it's really more punk, which is just a weird thing to be still talking about in 84 because 
I guess at that time, punk was already kind of, it was entering its post-punk phase by this, at this point, you know, it was like Joy Division was huge. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of, with Ian Curtis's passing, they became New Order. And then, um, yeah, Television was also huge. That's another post-punk band, Gang of Four. Mm-hmm. Like, these were the bands that were already big at this time because punk really hit, like, you want to say, like, 76, 77. That was really punk. You know, because um, even um, the Ramones, you know, they did that album with uh, with Phil Spector, which is just such a bizarre combination. <laughs> but I love that album, man. Uh, End of the century. Like, it's so weird to hear, like, you know, the wall of sound, like clash with punk riffs. Like, it's just. But yeah, so by this time, 1984, the punk was not exactly the most fashionable thing uh, still going. I mean, you know, of course, you know, punk will never die you know um right and like i think uh, at this time you may you know you definitely still had i think like suicidal was doing it i mm, think Tennessee, this yeah. this movie this this movie even features a suicidal song right uh, yeah yeah and then um the circle jerks too we'll talk about later but um sure yeah it's just uh it's interesting because you know um alex cox the director of the movie you know he's british so he he grew up with you know punk music and that that's really oh, yeah. his background and he i mean he's written some great stuff because he's also really good um uh, i wouldn't say he's a critic but he's definitely a great like appreciator of films like he used to host a show called movie drone and i like mm. that um the they still have kept like a lot of his interests because movie drone was basically just a show where he introduces and talks about a movie after they show it like it was on the bbc right. and you know he so he clearly knows what he's talking about and he's written some articles like I think I've read some like in Cinemascope or Film Comment where he talks about like the DIY punk aesthetic of just like you know how incredible it is to that it's now reached film with digital like now you can be a punk musician you know as a as a filmmaker yeah. like you can be a punk Pretty filmmaker cool. yeah so yeah so this film when it arrived like I guess punk was still f- uh, you know how music took a while to travel across shores back then it's not as global Mm -hmm. as it is now so it might have had its passing in in the uk but maybe in america it was still like kind of on the upside with with this movie um yeah but yeah it's it's so weird it's like the first logo we see when the movie starts is universal so it's not an independent film it's you know it's produced by a major studio and the main guy who's behind it uh funnily enough i don't know if you know who michael nesmith is no um so michael nesmith is a member of the monkeys oh right yeah um yeah yeah so so yeah yeah he's the the I guess he's the executive producer slash, you know, it's Michael Nesmith Presents. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I wanted to pick this movie to, to kick off our 1984 season because it's like, yeah, this movie really just lays down the gauntlet. You just feel it as soon as um, uh, Iggy Pop's like theme music kicks in. Totally. Like, man, yeah. And then uh, did, were you able to piece together what was going on in the opening credits? Steve, okay, or? yeah. Let's talk about this. Yeah, so- let's go. The first time, so the first watch, I thought, oh, this movie's set in New Mexico. Cool. <laughs> because the first images are like, it says Los like Los Alamos. Yeah. Los Alamos. And mm-hmm. you see Albuquerque. And so my brain just went to, oh, cool. During this title sequence, they're showing us, they're giving us the information. Hey, this is set in New Mexico. Right. And then as, as I'm watching the movie, I'm seeing all this L.A stuff and i'm like okay well maybe they just shot it in la but maybe this is still supposed to be new mexico (laughs) 
But then clearly towards the end, they're saying L.A. It's references to L.A. And so I was really confused with, wait, when did they travel to L.A.? Like I, I almost in my brain, I put together that there's a scene where Emilio Estevez's character gets off a bus. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, scene. maybe did he take a bus to L.A.? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it wasn't until the second watch that I fully understood what was going on in the title, which is that they're showing you the navigation of the car that has yeah. the you alien material from yeah. Los Alamos's lab or, you know, from whatever that thing yeah. is there to, you know, heading West essentially. Right. And it, it makes perfect sense that it's in New Mexico because, you know, Roswell tying in it to Tom DeLonge, you know, aliens, know. monsters of California. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, this was amazing to me just to kind of, just to kind of get that, all these topics, you know, that they seemingly came up a lot last year when we did the right. alien invasion, um, autumn and all these alien movies and all this UAP stuff that's been coming up recently that a lot of this stuff has been, has been talked about for a long time. And that, yeah. and to see it in this movie, just perfect example. Yeah. Cause uh, I mean, it, it, that, that's the other thing that stood out for me on this rewatch was that this is why it's, it's a perfect 1984 movie for me because it, it doesn't date it at all. Like a lot of the ideas being discussed in this movie are still relevant today, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just that. Yeah. It, it, that, that is something I guess we should also mention. It is a movie of ideas. There's just a lot of inventiveness into it. And maybe that has something to do with Alex Cox thinking that, man, I'll never get to make my next, uh, you know, a first movie again. So let me just mm -hmm. pour everything in. To it, because um, yeah, just a little bit of background too. I was looking into it because why did he choose that occupation? Because I was thinking like being a repo man. It's kind of like um, uh, you know, it's it's one of those those jobs that you take along the way, but it's not really a job that you end up like having a career as. You know, sure. <laughs> maybe it's different now, but back then it's just like yeah, you know, especially in the eighties where if you live at home or like, you know, your rent is basically so cheap that you can just pick up a job to pay your bills and then quit, you know, and just move mm -hmm. on to the next thing. And especially with that punk aesthetic, because, yeah, not to skip too far ahead, but, yeah, the car is a, a Chevy Malibu, and everybody's, like, after this this Chevy Malibu. But w when we established, we're introduced to Emilio Estevez's character, um, Otto, <laughs> which is a great name, and they definitely play a pun on that name. Uh, I always like palindrome names, and that's what he has, O-T-T-O. <laughs> yeah, I uh, had a buddy named Otto in high school, and I, the, yeah, I always enjoyed that, like, yeah, that <laughs> aspect of it. Right, yeah, there's a lot of, like, game playing with, with the names of people in this this movie, too, the character names. Um, sure. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll bring it up in a bit. But, um, we'll get there. But, yeah, so when we're introduced to him, he's working at a, it looks like a Vaughn's or a Ralph's. Um, and this is one of my favorite details of the movie, which I love. They've carried that aesthetic throughout, like the marketing of the movie is the, the generic labeled like, branding, food. Yeah. yeah. The branding, like it just says beer on the can or a uh, meat flavored something, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like cornflakes. You know? And it's just like, yeah. And it's just like this, it's such a unique like design. It's a box or, a, you know, it's a white, uh, like container. With a blue stripe at the bottom, and then I don't, I don't know what the font is called for the lettering, but it's all small caps, um, and mm -hmm. that's it. You know, it's like beer. 
And I love that, like, with the Criterion set, which is a beautiful package, by the way. Like, um, the the Blu-ray of it, it just says, it has that uh, same aesthetic and it says disc on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. So, you know, he, he gets fired from his job and it's like, he doesn't give a shit. Like, I mean... Oh, I should... oh, he's got such an attitude. <laughs> oh, my God. He's just so ready to say fuck you to everybody to push his friend over. Yeah, the yeah. boss is so annoying. He's like, it's come to my attention that you haven't been paying attention. And then the, the security <laughs> guard's like, hey, he's talking to you. <laughs> it's just so yeah. good. The security guard is such is so funny. <laughs> like the security guard reminds me of a character from like Snake and the Eagle's Shadow. Okay. That like <laughs> just like a goofball who's like for some reason has power right but, yeah but is like abusing it and is clearly not that strong yeah. of a individual yeah. yeah as the movie goes along we we probably clearly see that uh alex cox has no respect for security guards <laughs> like, oh, he yeah. hates he hates security guards but yeah it's just like um oh this is another funny thing too steve the first time i ever saw this movie i saw it in hbo in the philippines and hbo in the philippines is diff- different from hbo that we know here in america um it's heavily censored so you know you rarely see a movie that's uncut you know um sometimes Mm -hmm. they'll do movies that are basically like they'll only play like you know after the watershed you know like um uh it would be like you know nine o'clock ten o'clock and it's still gonna be slightly censored like they did that with boogie nights but at least you know Mm -hmm. the the cursing was was intact but with this one there's a lot of cursing in this movie and it was just so weird to hear like the dub versions or you know, it would cut away from, um, or it would say, screw you, you know, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. and a lot of what they say, the dialogue doesn't make any sense or like, um, yeah, the, they had to cut out the the speed scene, you know, um, like that kind of stuff because, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's they're taking drugs. Sure. But yeah, it's just the prudishness um, in, in Philippine, like uh, TV is just crazy, oh, man. Especially it's sad. paid cable, you know, um, but that didn't take away from the enjoyment of the movie, even though it was censored, you know. I, I still loved it. I was like, man, this is so awesome. Like, you know, it's that feeling because I, I saw it as a teen where, like, somebody made a movie for me, you know. That's really how I felt. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. this is just as weird. And, uh, yeah, and I, I got to give a shout out to, um, you know, we mentioned uh, uh, Iggy Pop. Uh, but uh, he, he only did the theme music, but it's consistent with... The score that's uh, by Stephen uh, Hofstetter and Tito Lariva. I mean, two guys collaborating on the score. It's so underrated. Like, it's just these beautiful kind of surf guitar riffs. Mm -hmm. But then there's also like a punk aesthetic to it. I mean, actually, the way I would describe um, uh, Iggy Pop's theme is it's like um, a Psycho Billy uh, version of the Batman theme song. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. It's good. <laughs> and you know, I, I only found out about the psychobilly subgenre because of Amoeba. Like that was like one of my favorite sections mm. in the old uh, Amoeba location in uh, on Sunset. They had a psychobilly section. I don't know if that still exists, mm. but I was like every time I would walk past it, I'm like, man, that's so cool that there's a genre called psychobilly. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, one of, it has some good branding. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. Uh, but yeah, the score is amazing. It does like riffs on like you know um. Uh, there's one point it riffs on uh, um, Ride of the Valkyries, you know, uh, the Wagner. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then, um, yeah, so we're kind of skipping ahead. But, yeah, it's like. Um, That's fine. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the one thing too, I should mention um, with the opening credits, like there's like going to be big power players in 1984 that are mentioned in the opening credits. And one is Harry Dean Stanton, who was at this point, basically like in everything. Like Harry Dean Stanton was just so ubiquitous. It was crazy. Like he was practically in every movie. I don't know how he did it, but mm-hmm. in 1984, he had two movies that were, and I mean, he was probably in even more, but two of these movies and Repo Man is one of them. The other one we're probably going to discuss on its own episode, but they are to me like bona fide, like masterpieces, like especially the other movie is just incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. And a weird coincidence is these two movies are also shot by the same cinematographer, uh, Robbie Mueller, who's one of the greats. Like he, Robbie Mueller is one of the great like nighttime cinematographers, and you see it in this film. It's just the way he shoots nighttime. Like there's a kind of a greenish tint to it, but then he's also like interested in neon lights, and people are still trying to figure out how he did it. Because a lot of them, he says he, he uses like a minimum of lights. Like it's natural light. Mm. And it's like, how did he get those crazy shots at night and ha- made it look so clear? And, you know, Robbie Mueller is more associated with Vim Vendors and the films that they've done and Jim Jarmusch, which lean more artistic. But this movie is kind of just like in a weird kind of in-between space where it's a strange film, it's a punk film, but it's also very entertaining, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it it doesn't, it's hard to categorize it. And that's why I love that this is our first movie. Um, but yeah, the, these two guys are, are going to figure prominently in, in season three, I feel. Um, Harry Dean Stanton, cool. and Robbie Mueller. Love um, it. Yeah, I can't wait mm-hmm. to delve into their world more. I just have one other thought on mm-hmm. the intro. Yeah. I really want the way that the maps looked in the title. I want that as like a Google map option. Oh, like I yes. like just the black with the green. I don't know. It's just really, yeah. really beautiful. It's very 84. Yeah. Even um, the transitions, you know, it, it's like um, the these aren't digital transitions. They're the analog like video transitions that you were able to do where it, like things can become squares or like you can swipe from one and then it follows the rhythm of the music which is great yeah really you know cool. um no yeah absolutely i would love to have a map <laughs> that looks like that um <laughs> did you notice anything else steve with like the some of the the locations that were being highlighted along the route um well see they it, it hit flagstaff mm-hmm. It hit a couple areas, uh, maybe a lot of sixes. I don't know. Like, yeah, like, yeah, that was that's what I noticed. Like there was definitely, I didn't know that there was a route or a, a highway that's six six six. Does that really exist? <laughs> like um, that was mentioned. Let's find out. And then of course, Route sixty six that uh-huh. definitely passes through um, uh, on the way to L A. Uh, but the other thing I noticed actually this time around, which I hadn't noticed before. <gasps> oh, oh my god! What? It's I I looked it up on. This is called dangerousroads.org. Okay. <laughs> that in what in the western US there was a highway uh-huh that was 666 but it, it was renamed to Route 491 in 2003. Come on. Awful. That's terrible. So it it did exist. The oh, beast is called quote unquote beast of a highway. Yeah. yeah, because yeah, th- those are the numbers of the beast. Pretty cool. <laughs> six, six, six. Oh man, yeah. So yeah, I noticed those, but the one detail that really stood out to me this viewing, uh, where I was like, "Damn!" It was like kind of a, I don't know, like a light bulb lit up in my head. Was um, it 
it actually says on the map the moon crater that's near Fa- Flagstaff. Oh. And you know what that moon crater is? No. Um. So, yeah, apparently, like, an asteroid had hit, like, you know, that, that valley outside mm. of Flagstaff. It's all desert. Yeah. Um. So there's a moon crater there. And um. James Terrell, the artist that we mentioned in the James yeah. Benny episode, he Sky purchased spaces. that crater. The crater is actually called Rodin Crater. And he's basically building, like, his, you know, his magnum opus that, like, mm. encapsulates all of his artwork in in one place and i think i mentioned that in the episode too that the only way that you can go see it is if you make a, a major donation like kanye did like a million dollar donation or um you actually go and visit every james terrell um uh piece in the world like wow. you go see every single one and that was like um because when they were doing the retrospective at lacma and like new york and um in houston uh there were there was talks about like a passport that you could get, and I wanted the, that passport so badly, but I never saw it. Like I've never seen photos of it existing. So you know, you get that passport and you get it stamped at every James Terrell oh. um, location in the world. And the crazy thing about that too, Steve, is that some of those locations are in private residences. You know? Yeah, that's, <laughs> there's that's a map. Be tough. Yeah, yeah, so you would have to like you know, ring them up, ring the doorbell. And ask, hey, I'm just trying to complete this so I can go see Roden Crater. Yeah. And what happens is if you complete it, which I don't think anybody has done because I haven't heard anything about it. Uh, James Sorrell will pick you up from Flagstaff with his plane and fly you to the crater. Cause he's also an avid uh, flyer. Yeah. He flies planes. What so. the... Wow. Yeah. So this is like a whole life's work just to see this thing. That's, that's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. And it's still a work in progress. It, it's not finished. Although, like, I think Kanye's million-dollar donation um, has gone a long way. It's going to help. <laughs> in sure. building. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but, yeah, when I know, I saw that on the map, I was like, damn, that's the Rodin Crater, you know? And it was cool. before uh, James Terrell bought it. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, that was a nice, uh, like, kind of Easter egg for mm-hmm. me to, to see that on the map. Beautiful. And... Um, yeah, how did you feel, Steve? Because you know, in the opening scene is the first time we see, like, I guess, the special effects of the uh, movie. How did you feel about the special effects of the movie when the the um, the highway patrol guy gets uh, blasted? <laughs> it was. It's definitely very cheesy '80s. Like, I yeah. was digging it. I was forgiving of it. You know, because you know, like, just going in, I'm not expecting Terminator Two. Right. I'm certainly I'm not even <laughs> expecting Terminator. You know, I'm not, oh, yeah, I'm not even expecting year? Yeah, I'm not expecting Alien. Mm-hmm. I'm not you know, I'm I'm expecting something fun. So it definitely right. hit that. And um you know, and then you know, just the way the trunk looks, it's obviously it, it reminds me of a little bit of pulp fiction. You know, oh, just like a, shit. Just yeah, like I mean a, that's a like the bright light. Yeah. Yeah, and that's um yeah, but also, you know, that that's another trademark Tarantino shot is uh the trunk shot. <laughs> You right, know. the trunk shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and you know, and I, I just like uh, it's just a classic, something interesting to get you going into like what is this world, you know? Yeah. As opposed to if if they started in the grocery store or if they started at the punk show, it would be one thing. But then that's, to start with this, it's just like oh, this is gonna be a different kind of movie than what's advertised as just looking at the title, Repo Man. Right. Yeah, and that was always the thing that just uh, was so foreign to me. I didn't really understand the concept of repo or <laughs> repossessing. Sure. Like, I didn't know what that was, especially as a teen. I was like, I didn't know that 
I, I just thought people bought cars outright. I had no idea that you make payments on a car and then if you fall behind, they can take the car back. Just, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. And like, not only can they take it back, but it's essentially like, like car thieves. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they don't, they don't, they do it illegally. <laughs> they don't, mm. they don't knock on your door and say, Hey, give us the key. You know, they, um, I mean, the way that they do it in this movie is not the common practice. They just come up with a tow truck and they tow it to the yard. That's how they do it oh, okay. these days. I like this kind of crazy style. Though. Yeah, it's, breaking it's in. Cool. They, yeah. they have their tools. Oh, man. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into each in, uh, unique uh, individual. individual repo man in the movie. Um, and their names, too, which are really funny. But, um, yeah, just quick shout out to um, Otto's friend, Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that actor, you know, he's, when we were first introduced to him, he's he's singing the the Seven Up mm-hmm. <laughs> jingle. <Yeah. laughs> Stop singing! <laughs> Stop singing. And then he he uh, he puts the price gun on his glasses. Which yeah, is I like his name. His name is Xander Schloss, which is cool. yeah, what a name. But yeah, that's the thing, dude. Like he's playing like this nerdy, geeky dude who kind of wants like a straight and narrow life. Because there's a scene later where they're. They both get fired, you know, yeah. and he's now looking for a job. And that was another, like, touch that I realized, like, that just makes it so uniquely L.A. Is the jobs that he's looking for are, like, all these satellite cities from L.A. So, like, it's, like, a job in Pomona, mm-hmm. a job in Agoura. Like, it's shouting out all these, like, far away <laughs> cities. And we don't really know where they are. Like, um, you mentioned that scene where he gets off the bus, and that's the only thing that kind of gives you a clue but it, they call it edge city like the bus is going yeah. to edge city that's a cool and job. right and um yeah that area is definitely i i feel like it, it's somewhere between downtown la and like east la like maybe boyle heights right even yeah. but it, it's definitely next to the la river that 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 area where um uh auto lives mm-hmm. um but yeah like xander schloss by the way he ended up actually becoming a member of the circle jerks so yeah, he's a he's cool. a true punk he's being like this nerd who wants the straight narrow life he's like you know fry cook has gro- growth man like i could be manager in two years <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh man cool. but yeah yeah and then just that random detail like that that's another thing that, that really hooks me into the movie is just the little things that um uh, Alex Cox throws into it. So when he gets off the bus, he was wearing like a uh, like a an East Asian like a hat that's almost looks oh like my a God. lampshade as I well. I want to talk about this hat. It's like pink <laughs> kind shaded. Yeah. It looks it, it looks like yeah like a Raiden style. Right, that's a good description. Like yeah. someone out in the rice fields kind of right. a hat. Um, and it's an early nominee, Carlo, for best hat of the year. If oh know, for, shit, yeah, that's for definitely next an year's award. awards. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, pencil that in, Steve. That's yeah. definitely going to be an award. Oh, best hat. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, and and just so that random detail with the hat. As he soon as he gets off the bus, and it seems like a bunch of like he can't even get on the bus because all these kids are trying to get on. <laughs> that's just like <laughs> typical of of, yeah. of most uh, buses as well. It's just, you got to just wait or get through the wave. So he eventually pushes through and he randomly just takes off the hat and puts it on one of the kids. Yeah, the, pretty cool. And she drops it and then puts it back on. And yeah, it's just, I love those little details. So yeah, it lives, it's kind of revealed that he lives in a downtrodden area um, by the LA river. Uh, and he, he doesn't have a car. <laughs> he takes yeah. the bus and he walks home. And when he gets His home, it totally sucks. Yeah, 
Yeah, so this is the part where I, I was just like, man, it still resonates today, except it's not, instead of the TV, everybody's just on their phones, mm-hmm. you know, but is the parents just spend all day smoking cigarettes in front of the TV watching this preacher, and they're so disconnected, you know, and uh, totally. just checked out, and, they, uh, you know, I, I thought it was implied based on what they were wearing that they used to be hippies, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. And then... <laughs> Just the the whole like dry humor of that scene is incredible. Where um, he's like, uh, oh well, yeah. The the first exchange between him and the mom. So he grabs like a can from the fridge that's already open. It's like you know the generic food can, meat flavored. And then she's like, uh, put it on a plate, son. You'll enjoy it more. <laughs> and then he's like, I couldn't enjoy this anymore, mom. Mm mm mm. This is yeah. slop. <laughs> yeah, really good. So good. And then he's like. Yeah, and he talks about this deal that he had with the dad. And then the best part of that is like, you know, dad, you know, I love you. And mom, I love you too. <laughs> Just because he's asking for money. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, they say, oh, we don't have any more money, son. We gave it all to this preacher, oh. you know, um, the televangelist, man, you know. And it's like, I guess he's, he's got to look for a job. And, you know, that's what leads him to meet Harry Dean Stanton, who kind of tricks bud. him. Yeah, oh, yeah. bud. Wait, hold on. Before we get there, I just want to just quickly shout out. Earlier, we get the first... They're at what appears to be some kind of underground warehouse punk show. Oh, and, yeah. That's when he first meets uh, Duke. He's yeah. meeting... Yeah, Duke's mm. just out of prison. And that actor is really <laughs> interesting. Like, I just like his whole vibe. Yeah. You know his his name? The, I mean, there's great names. You know, the actor is name. Dick Rude. Yeah, Dick Rude. What really cool. <laughs> Yeah, and just the way that they greet each other, like, you know, it's yeah. like, how you been, man? And the, the way they grab each other around the neck the and neck start and moshing. Starts, yeah, swinging yeah. each other around. And then the song is like... That yeah. feels like that's written from someone who knows the scene. Right, like that's yeah. what it, every, A lot of that scene looks right, except there's one key piece missing. What's that? Where's the band? Right, they're just listening to a boombox. Yeah, were they? Yeah, so I guess that's what it is. Was they? They were just gathering and listening to a boombox right. and moshing. Yeah, yeah. It's a little, it's a little odd. Like it's, I, I guess maybe that's like a budget thing right there. Where like, well, what, what's missing from that is just, a, just a, like a crappy but underground punk band playing, and right. they're they're just kind of hanging out. But yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, Steve, but I actually have like a YouTube playlist of my favorite shows at people's houses. Mm. <laughs> it's my bands that kind of grew and totally. blew up eventually. But you know, they did like house shows, and you know, it's awesome to see it. And you know, the acoustics yeah. of a house. And oh, it's I, awesome. You know, yeah, I love and it. right, it's just incredible. And just yeah, everybody's just trying to carve out their own space in in that house. You know? Yeah, <laughs> because totally. it's like yeah, it, it's actually somebody lives there, and we find out actually this. This whole party is going on at Kevin's parents' house, or where he also lives. Well, right, and yeah. that's a whole crazy scene where he, where Otto is first about to hook up with, I think Debbie. She yeah. asks him to get a beer, and in like the the couple seconds it takes me to get a beer, now now Duke's <laughs> in there, so right. very bizarre. Right, and then he's like, oh, "He's such a big baby," <laughs> and I mean the yeah the the scene just the line where I just crack up in that scene where he's getting ready. He's like, he says, "Well, uh, excuse me while I fold my pants." <laughs> and so when he leaves to get the beer, he walks into the party, and then he's just like in his you know he's got his shirt, and then the 
the flannel like tied around his waist, but he's got tight, tight whiteies on, tighty whiteies. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's and his we, style. That's cool. Yeah. 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 That's not the, the last time we see Emilio Estevez um, in tight, tighty whiteies, no. by the way. <laughs> oh, no, he's ready. Yeah. And the, actually, I, I just also want to bring this up at this point to where Emilio Estevez was in his career. Like, I believe this was his first lead role. And mm. he was basically a year removed from the role that really uh, he broke through with, which was um, uh, in The Breakfast Club. Uh, so that came out the following year. But it's just funny how here he's like this kind of, um, uh, you know, outsider punk that, you know, nobody really, you know, gives a shit about. And then in, <laughs> in The Breakfast Club, he plays a jock. You know, <laughs> my God, he had a gigantic 1985. So this is really cool to see him like mm. right on this verge. Really cool, right, right. And then yeah, I mean, where, where what happened? It's just like I mean, was Mighty Ducks like uh, a left turn for his career? I don't know. I mean, you know, he he, he still to my mind is the Minnesota Miracle Man. Well, and uh, and, and also he, in '93 he was in Loaded Weapon One, which is awesome. Oh so. shit. Yeah, and you know, actually, a uh, Emilio Estevez movie that's on my l- watch list that I've been meaning to watch is the one he did with um, uh, Charlie Sheen, uh, his brother, um, uh, Man at Work. Like, that's a movie oh, right. that I've, yeah. I've been meaning to watch. Um, but yeah, it is also funny, like, where he stands with his family that, you know, his dad is Martin Sheen, his brother is is Charlie Sheen, but he kept his name. And I, I remember, like, I saw an interview with him where of, of that reasoning you know, and he kind of mentioned that it was like because there was well because they're white passing. Yeah, there was, there was kind of a uh, this thing. That's why, yeah, Martin Sheen actually regrets that he used the stage name right. that he didn't keep his uh, his Hispanic name because they were like, oh, you're not gonna get many gigs uh, with a Hispanic sounding name. You know, and, and props to Emilio, man, Emilio. Yeah. You know, <laughs> have you seen Night of the Roxbury, Steve? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, Emilio. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, shout out to him for keeping his name. Very forward thinking and progressive and ultimately like a good call. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. You'll always be the Minnesota Miracle Man. Mm. Coach Bombay, man. Coach Bombay. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, he, w- he was on the cusp here and, you know, very baby-faced in the movie, you oh, know. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, talking about the cursing, like when uh, when um, a bud is trying to like get him to, I gotta move this car out of this bad area. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Fuck you, queer." <laughs> yeah. Oh, the cursing is unreal. I think Bud, yeah. when Bud first approaches, he's like, "Hey, kid, you want to make twenty five bucks?" Yeah, and and yeah, like yeah. ten bucks. He first offers fifteen yeah. bucks, and then he's like, "I won't do it less." It- for less than 20 and he's like 25 bucks (laughs) he keeps like raising the number (laughs) so funny um yeah and then yeah this is the first time we see like a car being repoed and i i still didn't understand when i first saw it i was like what is going on here is he stealing the car like because you know also because the spanish bits in the movie is not subtitled so like we hear the the family we don't even see them we just hear them like looking through the window and saying like papa um something tu coche yeah, like yeah. There's like a gringo, uh, or yeah, 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 gringo <laughs> taking the car. Sure. And then, yeah, I love that. You know, it, it, yeah, it ends up being this chase. You know, the like the the, the father comes out. And like, yeah, it's almost a crazy stunt. This could be a nominee for a stunt of the year, where the dad like mm-hmm. hangs on the side of the car, and then he has to round the corner for him to fall off. And, oh wow! Yeah, 
Yeah, the, the weird continuity thing too, Steve. That I noticed was that you know when he's grabbing at him, like um, he has an ear. Uh, you know, Otto has an earring with uh mm-hmm. with a uh, I guess it's a cross. Like his yeah, his earlobe is bleeding, but then in the next scene, it's not bleeding anymore. So I'm wondering if that actually happened, like that Emilio mm-hmm. got cut while the sure. <laughs> you know the, the dad playing the actor was grabbing at him, and then of course like you know he throws the Virgin Mary. Off the dashboard, out of the car, <laughs> and then yeah, he he basically finds out okay what's going on here, and yeah, so we meet the repo men, and did you notice the pattern with their names, Steve? I didn't until I saw the IMB, oh, okay, IMDb trivia, <laughs> but but yeah, but why don't you tell the people what's going on? Yeah, so uh, Harry Dean Stanton is Bud, Tracy Walter, who sounds like a woman, is actually Shout a dude. Out. Yeah, and I think he's he's also like one of um Alex Cox's favorite actors. Like he's been in a lot of Alex Cox movies. He's amazing in this. He's yeah, so good. Yeah, amazing performance. Uh he plays Miller and Miller. and then Cy Richardson um plays Light. <laughs> so yeah. Bud, Miller, Light. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then Tom Finnegan plays Ollie. He's like the older guy, and I think right. there is an Ollie. There might be an Ollie beer as oh, well. Oh, like, got it. So okay, I think everybody is has like a beer name except yeah. Otto and <laughs> yeah, and, and then, uh, Marlene. Right. Yeah, and it's just ironic that you know um, uh, Ollie makes fun of Otto's name. He's like Otto, Otto, Otto parts. parts. <laughs> yeah, really good. <laughs> yeah, there's just so many quotable lines in this movie. You know. Oh, yeah. Um yeah, so that's when he finds out, and then he pours the beer on the floor, the generic beer. And then, you know, uh, th- that's another great line from Bud where he's like, you know, kid, when somebody does that kind of shit, my first instinct is to punch their fucking lights out. But you know what? Yeah. You're, You're all right. right. <laughs> totally. I love that. When- I just want to work there. I like that <laughs> whole space. I like the desk you gotta setup. You got to be buzzed in. <laughs> buzzed in by marlene she's kind of running a typed ship but she seems damn to clown and then you got just a wacky crew drinking beers like what the hell right yeah in the middle of the day and then we got pletchner shut up rent a cop <laughs> yeah oh the hairiest arms you'll ever see on oh this i mean guy. the this chest guy was too just, like, he's got coded. like the o- open button down like he's, he's just man he's yeah. got the tinted shades and then yeah, the, the first guy who's trying to get the car back you know uh from ollie you know, all he's like, oh, that guy's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Best damn car in the lot. <laughs> so you're damn that right. Guy's cool. <laughs> and then even on the way out, even though he's with his girlfriend, he tries to flirt with Marlene because, you know, Marlene is, you don't really see her that well in that first shot because it's kind of a wide shot and she's like off to the side. But yeah, Marlene is, is a fine, beautiful, uh, lady, lovely no lady. Doubt. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, But you can kind of tell in the way that she speaks, you know, it's like she has kind of a refined uh, way um, and she's got a cool name too vonetta mcgee yeah cool. like all these great real names of actors you know mm-hmm. uh incredible uh yeah so uh, and it's funny too that you got to be buzzed into that little like half door i know <laughs> like you, you just you jump know. over it yeah, yeah exactly that's what i think like most people who'd be angry about their cars being re- repoed would just jump over <laughs> thing and just yeah. like attack the repo man it's like give me a fucking car back you know where's my keys um yeah yeah but yeah like all these characters are really memorable but then you get outside and you meet miller the, you know the tracy walter, walter character, character and he's yeah. just constantly dropping these this these knowledge bombs on auto yeah. and, and he's the one who kind of places into into your mind you know he, he's the one who mentions that 
every car has one of these air fresheners you'll see. Yes. And then, <laughs> and then from that point on every car, you see, even the motorcycles have it. It's like, right. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. cool. Yeah. And like, yeah, that, that was a thing that, that blew my mind um, as a teenager because that's what the cars we had, you know, in our family, like everybody oh. had that pine tree <laughs> air freshener, you know, my nice. uncles, you know, my grandparents, like they all had that pine tree in their car. So that just blew my mind. And then just even the concept of like um, a UFO also being a time machine, like that kind of stuff was just, man, you know, I I was like, wow, yeah, that is true. You travel through time, you travel through space, you know? Well, we'll get get there. But first, I have three clips. And so I think we're at the place roughly where we get to our first clip. And that's where Otto kind of goes on his first little tour and gets the lay of the land with Bud. Oh yeah, let's do it. And there's so many quotes in here. So I only, I'm sure you you probably know a couple more, but I pulled one here where Bud gives him the Repo Man code. Let's so here go. we go. Not cause harm to any vehicle nor the personal contents thereof, nor through inaction let that vehicle or the personal contents thereof come to harm. It's what I call the Repo Code, kid. Mm. Don't forget it. Etch it in your brain. <laughs> Not many people got a code to Speed. live by anymore. Hey, look, look at that. Look at those assholes over there. Ordinary fucking people. I hate them. <laughs> what do you know? See, an ordinary person spends his life avoiding tense situations. Repo man spends his life getting into tense situations. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's amazing. Such a well-written sequence there really right cool. and i love that you know when he first starts talking about the code it's like in legalese you know mm-hmm. in in action uh the, in thereof like all these these wordings yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> he, he obviously read from some sort of document yeah man <laughs> you can really get how just how talented harry dean stan oh is yeah at, at just delivering the lines making you feel it really you really believe him as this repo right man. and yeah, it, it's really cool. such a contrast to the other 1984 movie that he's in that we'll discuss that where he plays the lead um so yeah we'll, we'll get into that but um uh, just a, a short note on harry dean Stanton. i i found this out that apparently he was really difficult to work with on this movie oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of that in the trivia yeah, uh, yeah. yeah the, he really gave alex cox a hard time you know first time filmmaker and like you know he would name drop other filmmakers that he had worked with who obviously <sighs> That's you know it was like they let me do whatever i want that's why they're great directors you know and Alex, they let him improv and all this stuff yeah like harry d said he wanted in the scene later where he's like swinging a baseball bat like he wanted to swing a real bat at people right and, yeah, and then yeah the um the cinematographer robbie Mueller was like heavily against that because he could he felt it get close like just feeling that mm-hmm. wind of the swing get that close to him he was like nah uh can he not do that <laughs> yeah totally Oh, Very cool. man. Yeah. But yeah, he uh, Harry Dean Stanton was quite the guy. I, I want to see that documentary on him called um, uh, Partly Fiction because, uh, yeah, oh. there's a there's a bit where he sits with David Lynch and they have like a conversation. And um, yeah, he, he really is like a learned guy, like learned learned gentleman. Like, you know, he he's well read. He has like beliefs and philosophical concepts like the stuff that that Miller talks about. Like I can imagine harry dean stanton talking about that in real life you know sure <laughs> yeah all these contests but yeah it's a, it's a great clip steve because yeah it, it basically encapsulates also how his character uh has this superior 
superiority complex over everybody as if like you know he's better uh yeah i yeah know. exactly I know you know and yeah. let me take you under my wing kid you know it's like that kind of thing and and um yeah you probably came across this in the trivia steve that all the the things that he talks about with the repo code like when he's with uh when auto is with light they break all of those codes <laughs> like every <laughs> <Yeah>. single one. <laughs> oh so funny yeah. and like i feel like that that sequence when auto goes out with light like comes pretty quickly after he goes out with bud which is like a pretty cool right scene. and you see that yeah he has a gun uh yeah <laughs> the, um yeah and i love that yeah light has his own kind of beliefs too and uh it, he recommends him this book um that now i get it like when i first saw it i was like what is this book and when i ma- made the connection that yeah. diuretics <laughs> diuretics yeah. which is a funny pun uh yeah making fun of um uh, dianetics uh, i was like yeah and then you know when he says did you read that book i gave you and then the next scene it cuts like auto throwing it in the fire that uh totally that is, you know stoking the dumpster fire yeah oh uh, hilarious he's like yeah i'm not reading yeah. but yeah but you know so you know spaced out through all these scenes you you're getting this uap subplot stuff where you're getting this guy who's, I guess, lobotomized, he reveals later, driving around in the Chevy Malibu. Right. It's it's heating up. It's hot for some reason. I guess the aliens are radiating stuff. Um, it's unclear what his mission is. I think he's trying to ultimately link up with another faction of people. Um, yeah, it, it, he may be connected to um, the United Fruitcake Outlet. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. Yeah, that's funny. And he even, uh, yeah, Otto even laughs when he reads it. He's like, United Fruitcake Outlet. <laughs> um, yeah, I think they're trying to connect because, um, uh, well, that's the organization that Layla. Is yeah, a, yeah, we're, is we're a skipping of, right? a little yeah. ahead with that, but yeah, Layla is this girl that Otto after he steals a millionaire's car, by the way, which is funny. That yeah, that's another like nuanced thing that. Uh, actually is truthful mm. it is really true that actually millionaires are behind on their bills because they don't keep in t- uh, you know they don't keep up with their spending you know so i mean auto pay is probably like a, a godsend to millionaires you know because it's like okay now i don't have to think about it but yeah of course they, they would fall behind um on their payments but what makes it even funnier when he goes to steal the what is it uh, el dorado a uh, cadillac yeah, uh, from the millionaire, he's at a fucking laundromat. Like, what kind of millionaire goes to the laundromat to, to his his uh his laundry? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 bizarre. Like, I I can maybe imagine in like a, in like a modern term, a rich YouTuber type who's living in LA right. and and is maybe just coming to some internet money. They might still go to a laundromat, but but then put all their money on leasing a Maserati or something right. insane yeah, yeah. that they can't keep up the payment. Right. But yeah, but this guy, I think he he looks a little older, so it's just kind of bizarre. Yeah, and he's wearing a tracksuit with no shirt. Yeah, <laughs> like just open uh, tracksuit top. Dude. Yeah, and then yeah, he's he's being obnoxious. He's telling basically these uh, these people who actually need to use the laundromat, like um, you know, because he wants to get a view of his car, so he tells them to dry their clothes somewhere else. It's like you can put yeah. your clothes <laughs> over there. And he kind of tosses it dismissively, and they're just like kind of listening. And then yeah, when when Otto steals a car, and then he just like screams like a bitch, like hey, <laughs> run after it. Like yeah, the the people that he was lecturing, oh my god, they just have a field day throwing all his laundry out onto the street. It's Man, beautiful. I love an '80s jerk. There's there's something about the way '80s movies captured these jerky characters. Right. It's just like so. 
endearing right. and you and and it feels true even though maybe that exact person didn't exist but it also feels like they did it's no weird. Yeah, yeah it's that archetype of um the yuppie you know that was really yeah. an 80s thing and yeah like um there's some movies that are pro yuppie which we will probably uh, cover this season and then there's movies like this which are obviously very anti-yuppie uh so uh but yeah that so after he he takes the um the Eldorado that's when he sees Layla like running uh to work and he's like hey babe you need a ride <laughs> and it's like yeah she's trying to ignore him and then he ends up like hitting some trash cans and this is one of my f- my favorite like kind of random bits in the movie is when he hits the trash cans and then this British lady comes out of nowhere <laughs> and says pick it up <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you pick it up. <laughs> it's like uh that you know, why are they in the middle of the street? That's not the middle of the street, that's the corner. <laughs> it's such a great moment. It's like, uh, do you still want that ride? And she's like, No, I don't because <laughs> he's talking to her still. And then yeah, yeah Layla gets a ride. The, she kind of reveals oh uh, because um yeah, the those um kind of uh, are they Secret Service, CIA? We don't really know, but they're they're kind of ominous. They have their own theme music, and uh, they're wearing like those reflective aviator shades. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they 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 um, kind of drive alongside Otto, and then yeah, that causes Layla to hide, and then she shows this photo. And what did you make of this photo of the aliens, uh, Steve? When you first the saw photo. It? <laughs> When I first saw it, I had I couldn't make any sense of it, and then I looked it up yeah. on IMDb when they explained yeah. that it's like condoms filled with water, <laughs> and there's like other things. Yeah, it makes total sense. And like I'm looking at a photo of it right now, and it's still uh, like how is I still don't understand how that's aliens. Yeah, like, yeah. it's very bizarre. And then the yeah, auto says like it looks it looks like sausage. <laughs> it's like it's not sausage, auto. <laughs> Um, what is uh, Layla, the actress's name, who plays her? She also has a cool name. Um, yeah, her name is Olivia Barish. Yeah, look, yeah. And she was very lovely, mm-hmm. very charming as this character. Yeah, she, she's she's great. Yeah, like uh, it's something about her voice and then the freckles. And is she a redhead mm-hmm. as well? She kind of seems like she's a redhead, like maybe dark mm-hmm. redhead. Maybe. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, she's lovely. Um. Uh, and yeah, so uh, that starts the whole thing of, of them dating. And then, yeah, when I watched the censored version, I thought that that part where it sped up, where they, they end up, you know, screwing in the car. I thought that was part of the censorship. I didn't realize that that's how it actually is in the movie. Yeah, where they, you know, that it sped up and you hear her kind of squeal, you know, with pleasure. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, great moment. And yeah, the the... the We've pretty much now established what the movie is. It's a bunch of people who are after this Chevy Malibu. On one side, it's people who know that there's the there's this transport, these aliens in in the trunk. That mm-hmm. if you open the trunk, it could kill you. You know, because they're radioactive. I guess you know. And um, oh well, uh, two other characters we should mention too, because they figure uh, largely in the plot is uh, the. Uh, the Rodriguez brothers. <laughs> Yay! I love these guys. Napoleon and what's the other one's name? I only remember Napoleon. Napoleon and Legarto. Leg- <laughs> so these guys, I guess, are rival repo yes, men. Yes, they are. 
And, and so, but the one thing that's confusing to me is there's a scene where they're selling a car. They kind of, they're, they're meeting up in an apartment and Marlene is there. Right. So, and yeah. So it's like, yeah, what's that whole relationship? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I think that's revealed towards the end that they're all part of like kind of a, a guerrilla kind of activist group. And they, they're really more in it for the money though, for that thing, because th- that's the other side of who, who, that's how the repo men figure out into the plot which is that they're after the Chevy Malibu because it's worth 20 grand which is a lot right. of money in 1984 you know <laughs> like you know um uh, bud even talks about it with uh, and that's a beautiful like um yeah let me give you some uh some technical uh like a little bit of technical trivia steve uh, have you ever heard hmm. of the term split diopter i have had heard that term where you have two things in focus that are yeah a, a because yeah um, distances yeah because yeah, most film cameras they can't shoot like that deep focus uh i think hmm. digital cameras can now um but yeah with with um with film you couldn't do that back in the day but it created this really unique look you know because you basically have to kind of blur the edges of the person who's like closer to be able to see the the person in the oh, back, okay. um, so yeah, it, it's a really beautiful technique. You know, um, some of the most famous people to use it are like you know uh, Hitchcock and, and um, Orson Welles. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I'm comparing these like high lofty directors to Repo Man. But no, I think uh, Alex Cox is an artist in his own right. And totally. um, yeah, so that scene with um, uh, with Light and Bud is a sl- split diopter where they're talking to each other, you know, um, from their cars. Um, and they're both in focus and mm. Bud is talking about like, you know, if he gets the commission, not the 20 grand, by the way, you only get commission, <laughs> which yeah. is like 10%. So he's going to get two grand from, <laughs> oh, from, yeah. from that. And he was talking about like, uh, what was his dream was to, um, to, to open a junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah and light's more realistic about it it's like you, you won't be able to buy a junkyard you know and then that's when you, you know you can tell that even though uh bud is like very proud of the unconventional like repo man lifestyle he's still on the straight and narrow at the same time like you know he talks about yeah. credit and like how good his credit is and that's what's gonna get him the the junkyard yeah. You know, um, well, well, it's funny because I think this is one of the deeper themes of the movie right here mm-hmm. is that, you know, I read somewhere that it was, you know, it's obviously it's kind of a, a commentary of on just the nuclear age and just just this period of time and thinking that the world is going to end. And yeah, and yet with all of that, uh-huh. people are still caught up in these really trivial, dumb things in their <laughs> right. life you know right. like um, and so i think that's one of the reasons that we are following repo men mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe a more high higher profile career choice is that it's like it's that juxtaposition of like these really lofty things that are going on but people are, are worried about their credit and right. if i get two grand i'll start my dream job of a junkyard or whatever you know it's like mm-hmm. it's all these minimal things obviously the punk rockers who are like suburban or urban kids who go into a life of crime for fun it's just like <laughs> right. there's there's a lot of like pettiness going yeah, on yeah yeah that that is one of the major like under uh undertones of the film is really that yeah the, the financial aspect of life and how yeah we need money to keep going but uh, that is one of the things I guess that I feel that I was born at the the wrong time. Well, I was born the year this movie came out. You're born at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I, I wish that I lived through that time where you only needed to just basically hold a job 
to get by oh, to sure. pay your bills and then you know you could quit and move on to the next thing that you're not forced to like hold a job for that long because i really lean i still do i i lean more towards um uh that that punk perspective mm-hmm. of just like yeah a job doesn't define you like it's just something that you need to do in the meantime to get you through yeah. um but yeah that that like we have no ambitions to like move up in the the corporate ladder so to speak like you know the way that kevin does where he thinks he's going to make manager in two years like that's not really our goal if anything like yeah i I mean just even looking back on on my career in jobs like i've I've even like uh, promotions had to be forced on me because i just never wanted one (laughs) you know that's like my the longest job i ever had that's what they did they were like oh hey yeah you've been promoted and i was like oh i didn't ask for this (laughs) because you know it's like the the further up you move up it's just like um you know, there's more responsibilities. You you gotta attend meetings. Oh man, I fucking hate meetings, Steve. You know, it's like that's oh, yeah. the bane of my existence is a meeting. Every time like a job <laughs> calls for one, I'm just like, oh, can I just like go to sleep? I don't know. Um, but yeah, that I, I still lean towards that that and it's just so funny, like with Portlandia, you know, I don't know if you remember the very first episode. That's one of the things that they talk about that people can just be artists in Portland. That you know you can just have a coffee shop job and that pays for everything, <laughs> right? Like um, those are yeah bygone things of the past. It's just like impossible tough, yeah to live that way and not like struggle. You know. No, I was just thinking about like modern day punks. Like uh, so we have like the elders now. I mean, you know, Iggy Pop is now an elder yeah. of of punk, but you know he's made his money, so he doesn't have to worry about it. But like um, in terms of like I'm just trying to think of who lives lifestyles that are closest to um to punks and, i mean yeah these days maybe you know i mean maybe fat mike if you're thinking of still the el- elder punks like mm. there's a lot of people who stuck in punk rock long enough to experience the 90s boom mm-hmm. and and if they got there they then made a lot of money because in the 90s obviously all those bands from green day no effects offspring Man, blink yeah and then they just like brought up just a a ton of new new fans and new kids into punk and then all the all the bands under them Mm -hmm. um benefited and so they also and also i think they all started labels of their own like epitaph and all these things Mm -hmm. so a lot of people ended up making money diy by staying in punk in the 90s yeah i mean yeah my favorite um story is probably fugazi you know, because of just how they did it, you know, with DIY and the label. Like, I love the, these grassroots stories and just like how, you know, with with Fugazi, they also controlled the prices because, you know, they didn't have a middleman. Yeah. So, like, they tickets were always 10 bucks, records and CDs were always yeah. 10 bucks. Like, that was great, you know, <laughs> that that's how they did it. But yeah, that, that's what I'm saying about just like, I, I don't really regret it. You know, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I am in the right place in the right time where I should be. But like, there is a part of me that kind of, you know, if I were to time travel, that would really be it. That I wish I was like born in the 70s, like early 70s mm-hmm. or something, you know. Um, So I could have experienced that and, you know, just, uh, <laughs> yeah, really seen that boom and be more um kind of, uh, I guess, of age when that was all going down. Um totally we were too young to benefit from the 90s boom and we're kind mm. of too old now to benefit like right now there's a there's a, a boom right now in hardcore music that's great and man. so like and so like everyone who's in their 20s and early 30s who have who are in bands mm-hmm. like they're all benefiting from that 
Oh, good but shit. yeah, so it's like we kind of mistimed it, I suppose. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, because even the getting into music, Steve, like I feel, well, one of the main things was, you know, I, I, I grew up not being able to afford a musical instrument. And then later on, I kind of discovered that I don't really have that uh the talent the natural talent to play a musical instrument mm. but you know i was just thinking like because so many people who got into music in high school um you know it's not just like getting the girls and that kind of shit like as a motivation to learn like they were really good but also being in a band and you can speak to this more than i can like i could just see how um you know that kind of pushes you to become a better musician because you're with other people playing in a band you know um, I got way better as soon as I started playing with others. There you and, go. And um, yeah, you just realize, oh, I'm I'm not in time. And like, mm. if you're playing by yourself, you don't realize right, that. You know? and, right. And it's kind of a lesson that carries into your relationships. It's a it's a lesson that carries into any kind of team building. Right. That it's like you really are contributing, and you need to be contributed to, and you need like when to hold back, when to take up space. Just kind of listening for all of that. There you go. Is, uh, joining a band is pretty big. And I, I imagine it's similar, you know, being a part of a cast or being a part of like a, a production sure. like this. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Richard Linklater talks about that a lot. And I mean, he actually makes the metaphor closer to like being a coach, you know, in a sports team mm. and like knowing everybody's skills and like, you know, that you can't talk to everybody the same way. You know, it's got to yeah. be different approaches to, to each person. Um, but yeah, it's just one of the things, uh, I guess, a what if that I think about in my life that if I was able to afford like a bass in my teens, because yeah, it was mm. ironic, like my graduation present from high school was an electric bass. <laughs> and then yeah, I, I went to college somewhere else away from my high school friends. So I couldn't really play with them. You know, once I mm -hmm. got it, you know, but I, I'm just imagining like, man, like I look back on the music that we were listening to and some of the music that was coming out during that time that I had missed. You know, like Don Caballero, sure. which I got into like when I was an adult. Um, like, yeah, it's just like, man, like I could have played this. Like, <laughs> that was the thing. If I just played yeah. with them, because yeah, mm -hmm. mostly in high school, all we did was just cover songs. You know, we did, never did sure. um, uh, like uh, original compositions. Like my my friend, who's like an extremely talented musician, he only started doing original stuff um, after we graduated. Sure. Um, but yeah, it, well, I mean, like that's the that's the dirty little secret is that most popular bands mm -hmm. start off playing covers right, like metallica yeah. like that first record was like half of it or maybe a little less than half was like these old these covers that were like from obscure <laughs> british bands that nobody knew right. so that it so that it sounded like originals you know yeah I mean? <laughs> no that's great all right yeah i've heard that description from pavement too with the slanted and enchanted that they said that that was their attempt to make a a f the fall record <laughs> you know that's sure. yeah, yeah. talking about another post-punk band you know um well, but yeah it would have been cool if you continued on the bass path just because the world does need more bass oh yeah uh, yeah it's, it's still my favorite instrument then you know I, I i'm looking at it right now it's in my closet uh i haven't played it in a while i mean one of the things that did and we're getting a little sidetracked now but like i will just say this uh as a last thing is that one of the things that kind of got me back into it was, ironically enough, a video game uh, called Rocksmith, which, you know, uses the principles of, of Guitar Hero, but you actually plug oh. in a, a real instrument. So you're actually playing oh, the songs and you're cool. hitting the right notes. Um, but yeah, I had like technical issues with it. It's just like um, it, it wasn't like my bass wasn't connecting properly to it for some reason or I couldn't hear myself play. 
So I, I just stopped doing it after a while. But it was just so great. And I mean, this is how they get you. So you have to buy the songs to play. So of course, you know, Steve, I had oh, to buy yeah. like the Incubus pack. And like each song is like $3. So you buy a whole pack, it's going to be like $15. <laughs> so I like I got the game for 15 bucks. I've already spent more on just like downloading songs <laughs> than the original price that I paid for the game. Um, well, 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 speaking of Incubus and bass... Oh yeah, this is a Carlo classic. Yes. This is Redefine. Beautiful. The greatest bass solo in the 90s. Dirk Lance, yeah, shout at out. Me. Yeah. Fight me for it. I mean, you could argue maybe Fieldy had some great bass solos on Korn. But, uh, he had a good tone, but he wasn't a, a great player like Dirk. Yeah, Lance, yeah, because he, he really played the bass like a percussion instrument, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. He was revolutionary in terms of like an idea and a style. Right, yeah. But no, I love that drop, Steve. That was awesome, man. <laughs> All right, so yeah, but, but just going back to Repo Man, uh, yeah, well, we were talking about the Hermanos Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah, the Rodriguez brothers are great. Um, and I just love, okay, this was also... Um, uh, Alex Cox cameo, Steve. If you want to go back to the movie and watch oh. it again for this cameo, so when the Rodriguez brothers find the, um, <laughs> this is a really funny dialogue exchange too. Um, they find the the um, the Chevy Malibu at a gas station. Kevin's working at that gas station, right? Cool. And one of his coworkers, the guy who's sitting to the right uh, on that kind of um, you know where they probably take their breaks. It's like there's a picnic table outside of the mm-hmm. the convenience store. That's Alex Cox, the guy in the hat. Oh, yeah, cool. that's his little yeah. cameo in the movie. <laughs> it doesn't say anything, um, but like, uh, yeah, I love the whole exchange between Kevin and the. I guess that's Napoleon, right? Napoleon's the thinner, the taller, thinner guy, mm-hmm. right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, "Hey, man, can you just check for me? I left something uh, back there." And there's like, um, and then he's like, "Yeah, anything for you, babes." <laughs> that's what Kevin says. <laughs> he's like, "You're beautiful, man." <laughs> yeah. I do like these Rodriguez brothers. They're kind of interesting where it's like you think they're going to be one way, but they're kind of another. Like the best example is um, in the scene where they're talking to Marlene in that kitchen and Marlene is introducing the idea of, the, okay, here's the Chevy Malibu for available for 20 grand. Right. And they're like, why is it so much? And some, and you know, and someone suggests drugs and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't approve of drugs. <laughs> forgot about that shit yeah yeah so yeah they got principles because yeah the first time we meet them it's through bud's perspective and we can clearly see bud is actually not a good guy you know yeah. so yeah you're right like the uh the, the rodriguez brothers definitely i think come out much better on the moral scale than bud does mm-hmm. you know because uh what yeah we were talking about like when we first see them they're kind of selling a car so it was like implying and did you see the price on the car steve no it was 99 dollars <laughs> the car uh, that they're selling <laughs> like what kind of amazing. piece of junk was that <laughs> you could buy, buy for 99 uh but yeah it was like kind of implying that they basically like uh it, you know i mean i'm sure some car dealerships have this scam uh where they they'll sell a car knowingly to somebody who can't afford it so they're taking like the these monthly payments and then when they can't pay it anymore they take the car back you know, mm-hmm. so that's what it was, I thought was implied when we we first meet them. But you kind of realize, oh wait, yeah, they they have morals, you know. And then I love, yeah, when the car gets stolen from them uh, by uh, Debbie, Duke, and Archie, 
the trio of <laughs> bumbling criminals that we <laughs> we have uh yeah like because they're like talking about uh, they call Marlene and they're like uh, this car's hot and then you know it's like the the pun of like yeah mm-hmm. it's a stolen car and it's like no it's literally hot like we're sweating <laughs> and did you recognize the drink that they got Steve at the at that like um no hole in the wall it? place it's orange bang they got oh, orange bang. Cool. yeah people who know what orange bang is shout out to you yeah if you know what orange bang it's the shit man if you if you go to a taco burrito place and they have orange bang get orange bang yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. And it's I just, key. Yeah, I love how um uh what's the name of the other brother? Uh the one with the the facial hair. Oh, short. Varnado? Uh, no, uh Lagardo. Lagardo. Like when they realize uh oh, what the fuck? The car's been stolen. He like just puts his hands in his pocket. It's like in his jacket pocket and then sips from the totally. <laughs> orange bang. Beautiful. And then yeah, that's the part where the the score plays um ride of the valkyries too because they're mm-hmm. kind of humming it so it's just like a beautiful like integration of the score with like the characters having music in their heads you know um totally. cool. yeah it's good shit yeah but yeah i do just want to comment here and we'll maybe come back to it later mm-hmm. just i would say the weakest part of the movie is mm-hmm. the acting of some of the punks as okay. these thieves or or it, it's either the acting or it's the overdubbed dialogue it's hard yeah. to tell that's the part that feels the most dated it's like it's funny so well like half of it is really funny yeah um but like th- there's also a, another aspect of it that just feels a little dated and forced but okay. it's like it's still charming you know, overall right yeah i mean it, it's just still amusing to me because you know uh the guy who plays archie is miguel sandoval and he looks nothing like that today. Like, if you know who Miguel Sandoval is, like, he's a he's a character actor, and he's always playing like Hispanic dudes. Um, and uh, yeah, he has a mustache now, but it's such a different look for him. And also, he's credited on the credits as Michael Sandoval, which is weird. You know, <laughs> he Americanized his first name uh, or anglicized it. And, uh, yeah, but yeah, I I know what you're talking about. It's like, there is a part that kind of sounds like weird dubbing where he wants to like take charge and he's like, King Archie. (laughs) Yeah. But it doesn't bother me as much as it probably bothers you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's just intentionally goofy. Like that's that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of levity, which is nice, but I do want to get to my favorite part of the movie is obviously the UFO subplot and my guy Miller. So I want to get to this clip. So this is, like, I think, a little earlier in the movie. But, you know, as, as we're kind of starting to head towards the ending here, mm-hmm. um, Miller drops some knowledge on Otto mm-hmm. about things that are, I guess, in the newspapers. And ultimately, you, will, you alluded to it, the whole mm-hmm. time travel thing. So here's Miller doing his speech. Here we go. I'll give you another instance. You know the way everybody's into weirdness right now? <laughs> like right all now. The supermarkets yeah. about muted triangles. UFOs, how the Mayans invented television. Well, the way I see it, it's exactly the same. There ain't no difference between a flying saucer and a time machine. Take South America, for example. Thousands of people go missing every year. Nobody knows where they go. But if you think about it for a minute, there had to be a time when there was no people, right? Yeah, yes. Well, where did all these people come from? The future. Mm. Where'd all these people disappear to? Hmm? The past? That's right! <laughs> How'd they get there? How the fuck do I know? 
supplying sources. <laughs> oh shit. Beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful, man. Yeah. And uh, flying now, saucers, yeah. Right. And I mean that that's really it. Where did they come from, right? And I I don't think that's an angle. Everybody wants to think about like deep space or the edges of, you know, the universe, you know, or maybe another universe or another galaxy that they're from, but what if yeah, they are from the future or what if they are from the past? Like mm -hmm. that's just a crazy thing to to think of and I think that that they, you know, to tie into another uh movie food favorite especially of yours Steve, um you know, that's kind of the idea that the uh, prey is tapping into, you know, mm -hmm. that it's possible that yeah, predators have been <laughs> coming here since you know, uh, colonial times. Yeah, yeah, it makes you think, and it's just cool to see it that these thoughts and these ideas were filtering in, even here in the eighties, a, a time right. where, where where you think it's like consumerism and excess and all this stuff. But uh, people were still trying to th figure out what's going on and ponder, yeah. and um, and we're not that much different now than we were then. It's interesting. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, just like I was saying, like instead of being glued to the TV and being a zombie in the TV, I mean, actually. People have doubled down because what's going on now is, uh, you know, the the whole double screening phenomenon where people are basically in front of the TV and they're not even watching it because they're on their phone, like doom scrolling, you know, <laughs> with the TV just in the background. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, one of the things about um, I don't know if you have the clip for that is um, that Miller doesn't drive. You know, uh, which yeah, we can now tie tie into the ending too. Um, well, yeah, uh, it's it, funny. Well, yeah, I, I didn't pull the audio, but I did just write down. I love that he says, "The more you drive, the less intelligent you are," <laughs> which is really good. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is also ironic, especially you know, firsthand experience driving here in SoCal. Like, I feel like actually it's the less experienced drivers who are the worst drivers, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the more you drive, the better. You should actually get better at it. You know, it's like, uh, I think that's what I feel like. I've, I've logged my miles as a driver down here that like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally confident in my driving skills. Whereas I mm -hmm. feel like others, it's just, yeah, you can't hesitate, man. And it's like, um, yeah, that's how uh, driving too slow can also cause accidents. But yeah, the other part of that clip I wanted to, or that, that quote that I wanted to bring up is he says, which is a sentiment I share with him is I do my best thinking on the bus. And that's how mm. I was in, in New York with the subway. You know, I just did my best thinking, best reading too. I've, I've finished like several books on subway rides, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, there's something about being in motion. Yeah. Right. No and then, yeah, it's just like, you don't have to focus on the road. You know, it's, it's impossible to read while driving. I mean, I, I don't know how it is with Tesla autopilots these days. But yeah, even in stop and start traffic, you can't read. Like it's just impossible. Like you have to be paying attention because somebody might be trying to cut into your lane, or you got to break in time, you know, uh, or else you'll hit the person in front of you. You know that kind of shit. So sometimes the pace changes. Sometimes cars will start going a little faster. It's just yeah, that I I do miss that time. But now I guess it's evolved for me in driving. Where yeah, maybe it is that you you know, <laughs> the less you think. But I, I also find the Zen in that of just like emptying my mind while driving, mm -hmm. you know, and then I, I mean, that's why I really, I mean, I envy you, Steve, you know how to drive manual, right? Stick shift. Stick shift. Yeah. 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 Because your first car was a stick shift. Am I right? Yeah. My first, uh, yeah. maybe my first two. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, not only is that essential, I feel, to uh, to zombie survival, apocalypse survival, that <laughs> you should know how to drive a manual, but 
Uh, I also feel like, uh, yeah, it's just a different feeling and I can't wait. I mean, I, I maybe I should make that one of my 2024 goals is to learn how to drive a stick shift uh, since my dad's car is stick shift. So oh, I perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just that thing of just like feeling that you're you're being present in driving, you know, not mm-hmm. letting your mind wander, like just being there and, you know, being aware of your surroundings, you know, that it also can save your life. But yeah, I just love all of um, uh, Miller's like uh, philosophical thoughts. I mean, yeah, I thought yeah. you were gonna bring up the plate of shrimp thing too. The the weird coincidence, <laughs> somebody. <laughs> oh yeah, he mentions plate and then plate of shrimp, and then you know you see that sign later on actually like uh, where they get the the Rodriguez brothers get the um uh what you call it the sodas or whatever yeah the orange bang there's a there's a sign that says plate of shrimp. Uh, it's just these, yeah. It's just the attention to the details, and then, you know, um, I guess as we we can g- kind of wrap this up and bring it to a close, um, uh, how it all comes to a head. So Miller says he doesn't drive, but then you know when everybody starts to realize, like everybody's after this thing, and they now know that it it has some sort of cosmic power, and there's all these crazy things that happen. There's a chase that happens that's insane. Uh, there's a whole hospital room incident. I just want to bring up that moment, by the way. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Where there's a SWAT team guy, and they pull the smoke canisters on his his vest, and it goes off. Like, yeah. oh my god, <laughs> I was losing it in that scene. Well, and then, the yeah. whole ending is amazing. How Marlene all of a sudden turns into like this action star, like Foxy yeah. Brown, and she's just kicking everyone's yeah, ass. Yeah, she's got the beret. Yeah, yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah, and then she's shooting the gun, and then like, um, yeah, the I I guess the the Chevy Malibu kind of is reaching its peak power because now like as it's driving away, it's like zapping people, you know, mm-hmm. which is really funny. And then yeah, it's glowing in this like kind of neon green. And did you see the trivia about the how they got it to glow like that, Steve? With like. How much money did they spend on the, on the uh, it was, metallic it, paint, paint? Yeah, th- no, yeah, it's like kind of a fluorescent, like reflective paint. Re- reflective, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like six hundred, um, yeah, six hundred dollars per yeah. per per can of paint. So it wasn't oh even like God. that was the whole to cover the whole car. That was just per Dang. can. So yeah, and then yeah, it's just like the practical effects that I, I just find so charming, like. Uh, they talk about like how all of a sudden there's like a a hail of like ice cubes. <laughs> and it's clearly oh, like right. they're just having somebody drop all the ice cubes <laughs> from the top <laughs> off screen, but it's just so beautifully done. Yeah, it's just a master class of making a low budget thing, but making it as good as possible. It's like right. really cool. Yeah, and it, I think it's really just committing to the bit. Like, um, it's yeah. been discussed in in a lot of um filmmaking like uh, lessons or manuals. If you ever read them, like they say, like, yeah, you don't have to have that massive budget if your imagination is good enough. And you know, Michelle Gondry has made a career off of this of just like using practical things mm. and doing effects that way. Like, yeah, it, it people will are willing to go with you. Uh, if you're willing to commit to it. And I think Alex Cox really pulled it off with this movie. You know, I mean, we really believe a car can fly you know, in this movie. Like, right. And that a... the car only allows certain people to get near it, which is interesting. Yeah, it's like um, uh, Odysseus's bow. You know how, like, Odysseus is the only person who can fire his bow? So right, that's what yeah. the car is, you know, and it only works for Miller and for Otto. And then, yeah, again, one of the great kiss-off lines in the movie, like, when Layla's like, what about our relationship? And then he's like, 
fuck that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's such a prick. It's so yeah. funny, dude. But yeah, it's such a bizarre ending where you're like, where is this going? But then you mm-hmm. don't even care. Yeah, like you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't even know. You assume that they're going to start time traveling, I suppose, in the car because right. that's what it's set up. But you're but you're just like along for this silly, fun ride, and um, yeah, and the score is beautiful when they're flying through um, mm-hmm. downtown LA, the skyscrapers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and like thing. ultimately, you're happy that the that the government type people don't end up with the car and don't end yes. up with the aliens. You really never see the aliens, and it's just kind of a fun, bizarre '80s independent ending. It's like it's great. Yeah beautiful and then just a couple things i just want to go back to i have one other clip from um earlier i think this is when the punks are like stealing the car back from i think the guy's name is randall the 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 crazy guy who's driving around oh no sorry his name is frank parnell yeah yeah the guy who's driving around the uh car so after they've robbed him we get this iconic line. This is from uh, Duke. Come on, Duke, let's go do those crimes. Yeah, let's go get sushi and, and not pay. <laughs> really cool. Oh my god, great throwback. See, I'm, I forgot about that line, but it's so good. Let's go get sushi and I'll pay. Well, since you lived through it, Steve, how much of a luxury was sushi in the 80s? Do you remember? Man, like, I don't, unfortunately. I didn't yeah. start liking sushi until I was much older. So I don't know what the 80s sushi vibe was like. But apparently, yeah. it was a hit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there's other movies I can't quite recall. Maybe even Jacob or Bill might know if they listen to this. Mm. Like the There was definitely a movie where somebody was saying that they were going to get sushi. And then the other character like didn't get it. And it yeah. was in the 80s. It was set in the 80s. And I was like, oh, shit. So it was like fairly new. I, I, I want to say it's Fast Times at Richmond High, but I'm that not positive. right. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. Right. Somebody mentioned sushi and then the, the other character's like, what? Like, what is that? Yeah, like it was It was still exotic back in the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a great line. I mean, uh, the other line that I just want to bring up. Um, sure. Uh, when Duke dies. At the <laughs> towards oh, the yeah. end, too. yeah, and he's like, I blame society. <laughs> yeah, I blame society. <laughs> What's Otto's response is like, You're a white suburban punk, just like, just me. like me. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, and, and, and he's like, uh, Yeah, but it still hurts, or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> and then he just chokes on the blood. Oh, amazing, but way to yeah. go, Duke. Yeah, incredible film. Yeah. And oh. then my last piece of trivia that I just mm. wanted to flag here, you know, there's so much if you go yeah. on um, IMDb, was that um, apparently Lance Hendrickson mm. was a front runner for the part of the lobotomized driver oh, of the shit. Malibu. And oh, Dennis man. Hopper was considered for the role of Bud. <laughs> but his erratic behavior at the time ultimately made him unsuitable like that like that it would be a bizarre world to see hopper as bud and lance henrickson as the guy driving around but also (laughs) it's pretty good casting like like i could see that yeah yeah i I mean yeah i could see that but i think yeah i wouldn't change a thing like i think this is perfect casting you know um top down yeah top to bottom love it yeah everybody was great um yeah and i mean i guess just talking about top to bottom how perfect that the movie also ends with um uh the the reverse scroll credits like seven mm, that's right you know? it's like mm-hmm. uh, and that was very uncommon back then so it was just mm-hmm. so fucking punk and now we get the version of of the iggy pop theme song with 
Iggy Pop singing. Right. And yeah, what a way to end the movie. Oh, Man, great yeah. movie. Um, Incredible. So Carlo, yeah, what uh, what's your wine pairing for Repo Man? Ah, oh, it's so tough because it's such a unique movie. I mean, I I I could even steal something out of your bag and say Monsters of California, but I yeah. won't. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, I, I if you want to do it, you can. But um, no, I, I'm actually just gonna pair it with another Alex Cox movie because um, it's funny. Like he's had a very uneven career. Uh, oh, just another piece of trivia, by the way. When uh, Duke first shows up, he's wearing a Sid Vicious shirt. And uh, mm. Alex Cox's next movie was Sid and Nancy, which was about um, Sid Vicious and Nancy Spurgeon, I think was her mm-hmm. last name. But yeah, I, I, that, I'm due for a rewatch for that movie because I wasn't a fan of it. But um, but yeah, he has another movie that I think is close to Repo Man. It's not quite as, I think, lofty, but it's also a very ambitious movie. Um, it's a Walker with uh, Ed Harris. Like yeah, I think it's a it's a masterpiece in its own right. Um, but yeah, it's it's very different from from Repo Man. But it mm. is also doing something very ambitious, which I like. So nice. yeah, Walker would be my wine pairing. Walker. Yeah. Okay. How about you, Steve? So I the first one I thought of was Chud because <laughs> so it's also eighty four and we right. you know it's Chud's underground. Repo mm. Man ultimately ends up in the sky with the UFOs, so they kind of right. balance each other out there. But really, my real pairing for this is so what's missing from this movie is the house party band and so <laughs> right. my favorite house party concert that i've seen on youtube is and i'll include it in the show notes in 2019 this hardcore band tsunami who's i guess they're technically like a beatdown band mm-hmm. their very first show was at this house in san jose i think the san jose area that's known locally as the peace and justice house. Right. But it's basically a nine minute video. Cause they only had three songs and the video of this house party is insane. Oh, shit. I did a, a pit hits on it. Um, but, um, I'll include a link to that show from the peace and justice. Yeah. House. And Just, I'll, I'll pair it with my favorite house, uh, show as oh, well. Good. Yeah. So Perfect. we have two of them. You have your pick and then I'll have mine. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Mine is going to be Terra Mellos. Yeah. <laughs> it's just incredible how wild they were back oh, in the day I, but yeah i hope that clip still exists i don't know i'll have to check my playlist because you know how they get taken down and shit. i know uh, it's sad yeah i love those shows that's awesome yeah, dude um all right so um oh so what was your pairing again sorry i, I so yeah wait. i had chud and chud. i had this tsunami show a, from, a tsunami 20, show. from 2019 yeah. all right left field pick perfect um all right so uh, i guess the final question which we forget on certain episodes to ask uh steve is repo oh, man right. a keeper 100 percent. this movie yes. is a keeper it's, it's awesome yeah no doubt. co-sign i mean no doubt like that's why i picked it to be our first movie and also you know mm-hmm. um it's it's one of my favorites since i was a teen like it's one of those movies that i've grown older and i it remains the same it's still there up there in my favorites i've never even like just kind of been like some movies i had to like take time off or away from and like come back to but this one has always been a consistent favorite cool. so and this yeah. is a new a new discovery for me. Like I've always been Sweet. familiar with the title, mm-hmm. but even what it was about, I was ignorant to. So this was a pleasant surprise. It's one of those like on Letterbox. It's like an automatic heart, and I don't <laughs> know how many stars to give it, but the heart is what counts. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Beautiful, Steve. Well, I'm glad I was able to share this movie with you. And uh, we've gotten uh, episode one in the books. Love food it. 84. Oh, we're off to a great start. Movie Food 84. Let's bring this baby home. You can follow us. You can follow the great Carlo on X 
at Carlo Kino with two Ks. Also follow him on Letterboxd at Carlo Kino with two Ks. We're also, uh, we have a movie food Twitter at movie food pod. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Positron. Help support the show. Help us keep the lights on at our Patreon. Uh, that's movie food. I think I posted how many movies in our award show, like which movies won the most awards. So you can go see the full list of, of the awardees there. You can check out my YouTube channel, which I just hinted at, at Pit Hits, where I break down mosh pit moments, including Tsunami's house party show in 2019. And Carlo, that is it. All right. See you later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Later.